Hey guys, just wanted to send a quick thank you for all of the kudos I've received over on the SCP Fanfic Readings Facebook page, as well as the YouTube um, on each chapter page. Those are really great. I'm really glad you guys are enjoying the reading so far. Um, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, kudos, suggestions for um, books to be read later after this massive and wonderful story is done, um, you can also email me at scpfanficreadings at gmail.com. Uh, thanks a lot, and without further ado, SEP Fanfic Readings presents Measure of a Man by In a Days 22. Chapter 19 Wine and Whiskey. June 28, 2011. Tea. Hermione's current dilemma. Hibiscus tea, to be exact. The bold red liquid was vibrant and alive, though not a blend created from her garden. Hermione had purchased it from an herbal tea shop weeks ago after reading up on the health benefits. Narcissa had rejected it after one sip, finding it too sour despite the liberal use of honey. The aftertaste was slightly bitter, comparable to fresh cranberries, which she hated. The opportunity to try it for comparison and argument's sake had come and gone. Until now. Hermione reached for it slowly, every move more tentative, more cautious than the last. She bit the inside of her lower lip in contemplation. Should she try it? It seemed silly to let it go to waste. Would she like it? Despite the lack of an established preference for preparation or taste, Hermione had that familiar inkling that today's tea would be made to her liking. That very thought caused a shaft of uneasiness to pierce her gut, hard. She pressed her mouth into a thin line, equal parts concentration and irritation warred within her. But not anger. That had been burned away last night, fire-scorched earth leaving nothing in its wake, except fertile ground and clarity. There were still scars of fire and destruction. They would always remain, but life was preparing to take hold. It was time to begin anew. Hermione took her first step by picking up the cup. A combination of berries and an earthy scent she often smelled after picking flowers rose in a wispy curlicue of steam. She brought it to her lips but didn't drink. Not yet. Even with yesterday's reprieve, today's tea was a reminder of the pesky impediment that made planting difficult. Draco Malfoy. Or rather, the thoughts about him that floated through her subconscious last night after her talk with Daphne. Hermione had laid in bed, in a state of unfocused awareness, as sleep hadn't come easy. She tossed and turned for hours and hours, dropping into sleep and then immediately back out, falling in and out of thoughts too heavy to navigate while awake. There was much to ponder, and it was hard to do with emotions and adrenaline thrumming in her veins. Harder still to sort through it all with truths blurring her vision, and her own flaws circling back in on themselves. Round and round, the beginning chased the end, leaving Hermione stuck in a loop of her own creation. Kingsley's words were also there, laying new tracks, changing the course and closing the gap. Everything crumbled into separate piles, which she knew— what she'd learned, and what she was beginning to understand. But as suddenly as insight approached, her brain steamrolled past it. Unable to back up, it simply looped again. And again. It was exhausting. Hermione was tired of losing sleep due to her hyperactive brain. Tired of turning it all over in her mind while working through each problem thoroughly. But she did it because she had to. She needed to. To plant something new, the soil had to be prepared conditioned and tilled, the last of which required her to drag up anything under the surface and mix it in with fresh dirt. 
She had to combine the before and after, the old and the new, in order to create something rich enough to weather the season and provide the perfect palate for new growth. Part of that process involved swallowing a good deal of pride and finishing a half-started conversation. There was something humbling about being wrong, and Hermione understood that apologizing involved more than simply saying the right words. She should have to change her behavior and shift her perception to truly see things that had only been in her peripheral before, or things she ignored. She didn't know what that team meant. Maybe it was his form of an apology. Maybe it was meaningless. Hermione took a slow, careful sip of the liquid. It was tart, like the lemons Malfoy enjoyed, strong, but rather than subject her to the full power of its bitterness, an undercurrent of ginger and nutmeg balanced out the taste, and it was sweetened with the right amount of honey. It was so good, very much so. She took her time and savored it, enjoying the complexity of the flavors, incapable of further analysis, not even when she finished. But that was because there were more pressing matters at hand. Stealing herself with unbridled nerve, Hermione set off to Malfoy's office. She worked out the logistics with each step, rearranging and organizing the exact words she needed to say in the right order. Her plan came to a halt when she spotted Scorpius in white and green striped pajamas, his hair ruffled from sleep. He stood in the hallway, stubbornly staring at the knob of his father's door. Judging by the way he tentatively raised his little fist and knocked, he hadn't been there very long. The sound was barely audible. He put his ear to the door pressing his hand against the wood, and closing his eyes as if it would help him hear any movement on the other side of the locked door. His sigh was saturated with melancholy. Nothing. Hermione made her presence known as gently as possible, but he still jolted and turned all at once. When Scorpius saw her, he relaxed, then went back to listening for movement. She joined him, pressing her ear to the wood in solidarity. I don't think he's in there. Scorpius made a small, stressed noise, his lip poked out in the kind of pout that made her feel completely helpless. But that didn't stop Hermione from kneeling in front of him and fixing his tussled hair with a few absent strokes of her fingers. It was near time for a trim. "'Why are you awake so early?' The little boy sent a longing look at the door, jiggled the handle, then glanced back at her. "'Okay, I'm going to talk to your father, and we'll get this sorted today. I promise.' Scorpius gave a lackluster nod. Hermione straightened, dusted off her jeans before offering him her hand and a reassuring smile. She might have been struggling with the last wisp of her own nerves and pride, but those vanished when Scorpius took her hand. There were certain things more enduring than promises, and more important than pride. And hers held her hand like a silent lifeline. It was a realization that should have prompted reflection, or brought more a jarring emotional response, but it felt normal. Right. As natural as breathing— a part of who she was intrinsically. It just existed. It just was. Help me with breakfast? Scorpius cast another look at the shut door, then lowered his eyes to the floor. Still frowning, Hermione thought he might decline to stay where she'd found him. But he signed his agreement and took her hand again, with a look that was as trusting as his hand was warm. I know you're worried, but he'll be fine, okay? Another glance back was all it took before Scorpius allowed her to lead him into the kitchen. He didn't let her hand go as they rounded the long table where the note he'd been missing yesterday waited for him today. Trepidation existed where none had been before, but Scorpius bravely picked it up and offered it to her. Hermione accepted it, heart stumbling along, 
but she didn't consider opening it until after casting a featherlight charm and lifting the visibly confused little boy up to the countertop. At first, Scorpius appeared deeply uncomfortable, knowing it wasn't the proper place to sit. But when Hermione reassured him that it was fine, just for now, he relaxed. Blue eyes turned expectant. Right. A lump formed in her throat upon opening the parchment, the memories of the last still fresh on her mind. This one was shorter. Hermione hated that she could tell Malfoy had taken the time to carefully place each of a few letters. Nine letters made up two words that conveyed a type of remorse not easily said. Forgive me. Scorpius's initial shock quickly faded. His face was serious, mouth sliding into a confused frown that only deepened when Hermione returned the note. He stared at it, then at her, not knowing yet how to ask the question in the language he was most comfortable speaking. But Hermione spoke his silence fluently. It means that he's sorry about forgetting your note yesterday. She weighted the murky topic as delicately as she could with her shifting perception. Dads can and will make mistakes. Hermione wiggled her fingers in front of her chin to sign the final word as she spoke. I make them all the time, and you will too. Mistakes were human. People were complex and imperfect. It doesn't mean he cares any less about you. It just means he's not perfect. Do you remember the sign for when you make a mistake? He made a small fist and rubbed in a circular motion over his chest. Sorry. That's correct. She smiled softly as she once again brushed the blonde fringe from his forehead. It's not easy to say you're sorry, but your dad wrote this note to ask you to forgive him. Hermione showed him the sign for forgiveness once, then a second time, when Scorpius put down the note to mimic her movements. A small smile tilted his lips when he got it right. You don't have to do anything right now, but maybe... Scorpius signed the word again with more intent. He meant it. Do you forgive him? There was no hesitation in his response. Yes. And Hermione understood, in the moment they shared, that while she was teaching him a new language, he was doing the same for her. Children taught the most profound lessons in the simplest of ways. Compassion, forgiveness, kindness. Hermione was proud of him and the progress he had made, but it made her wonder. Are you ready to see your dad before breakfast? He shrugged shyly, resting his ear on his shoulder and dropping his gaze to the ground. She smiled. Well, when you're ready, I can help you. Scorpius never responded, but she could tell that the seed had been planted before it was taking root. Narcissa hadn't had much of an appetite yesterday, so Hermione decided to prepare a nutrient-dense smoothie. When Scorpius asked for one to go with his breakfast, she agreed. She may have also done a light reading on vegetarianism in children, with regards to proper nutrition. Berries and pineapple she'd frozen, tangerines Scorpius insisted on peeling, fresh spinach she'd picked and kale she purchased from the market, as well as a bit of honey to sweeten the mix-up with some juice and water. Hemp protein she hoped to hide in the mixture. Hermione brought the blender to life with the push of a button, and watched Scorpius's eyes widen. His bare feet were dangling before he rubbed one against the other. With a wave of her wand, she summoned a pair of slippers for him that he put on eagerly. Better? Scorpius nodded appreciatively. After everything was blended, Hermione made a glass for Narcissa and put it under a stasis charm. It would be another hour before she roused. The second glass she gave to the curious little boy, eagerly waiting for a verdict as he eyed the metal straw. His first sip lasted longer than usual, and she dipped her head to catch his attention. You like it? He bobbed his head up and down, mouth still around the straw, cheeks dimpling. 
Scorpius finished his smoothie while she mixed what was needed to make an eggy bread for both of them. When his plate was made, he sat there with an expectant look before peering down. Oh, right. Hermione helped him down and whispered a sticking charm that made it easier for him to get onto the stool. Breakfast was served with little fanfare, but not before Hermione cut his eggy bread into bite-sized pieces. She sat on the stool next to him, with her own smoothie and plate, and watched him enjoy his food with perfect table manners. Zippy appeared not long after he finished to dress Scorpius for classes. When he tried to help her clear the dishes, Hermione stopped him with a gentle look, taking a knee in front of the little boy. "'I'll be back in time for you to draw with Albus.' Scorpius's face lit up. "'He missed you yesterday.' His mouth formed a little O, and a worry etched itself on his brow. He signed one word. "'Sorry.' "'Oh, no, you were sad yesterday, and that's okay. Albus understood. Why don't you draw him something to make him laugh?' "'What about a chicken?' When Scorpius giggled and didn't cover his face, all Hermione could do was watch him with a heart so full it rendered her speechless. Some things in life were definitely more important than her ego. Narcissa was in a better mood. It was day two of no Lucius, but there was an emanation about her today, a strange sense of serenity that permeated the atmosphere. A ceasefire had been declared in Narcissa's war against herself, Hermione, and every one of her personal demons. From what she learned about strategy, even more so in the time as Narcissa's healer, a ceasefire didn't mean that Hermione could let her guard down, or that everything just stopped. It was a new beginning to the journey of finding a permanent settlement, the best time to approach failed topics to determine if an agreement could be made and a real peace could be reached, namely additional help, muggle help. Hermione had to be careful. Her prior attempt had been a massive failure. The first course of action was to gather the support of those closest to her, but with her conversation with Malfoy looming, she turned to the two others, Keating and Sachs. In the spirit of over-planning, Hermione set a time and prepared a detailed argument in the form of a presentation, one she never ended up orating because, to her eternal surprise, both women had agreed to help almost immediately. Now it was time for the hard part. After a subtle, encouraging nod from Sachs, Hermione took a deep, steadying breath. She was prepared to make her first move. It was direct, not disguised in cunning. Narcissa would see through anything that wasn't straightforward. "'You've shown very few signs of true decline, and your results have been rather stable lately. I think it's time we should at least discuss the possibility of consulting a specialist to incorporate muggle medicine and therapy into your care plan.' Narcissa's mood evaporated into mist. "'No!' Hermione took a mental step back and veered in a different direction. I don't understand why you're so stubborn about this matter. Wizarding methods are clearly working. Narcissa sipped her smoothie as stately as she could, which was quite the feat. I see no need to alter anything. They are working because I've consulted the best and created a plan for your care that was based on theirs. However, there are gaps in care that only a muggle specialist can close. Certain muggle medications have been proven to help. Your disease isn't one I specialize in, and while I've done exhaustive research and learned no, there was a finality in her curt response, an edge that threatened to slice if Hermione dared to press any further. Your methods are working, Miss Granger. Do the job I have hired you to do. Hermione, of course, wasn't done arguing. I could do it much better if you let me fully exhaust my options and allowed me to bring someone in that will assist. "'You could at least consider a consultation,' Sack suggested with a touch fair lighter than Hermione would ever use. "'Nothing more.' 
Narcissa gave them both a visible final warning that stopped Hermione from voicing anything else, no matter how sound and reasonable. She could only hope for something to have stuck with Narcissa. Hermione, being a professional at knowing when to charge or retreat, did the latter and gave Sax the quiet direction to do the same. "'Are you feeling up to your plans for the day?' Sax expertly changed the subject. "'I am.' Narcissa's careful response was followed by a moment of silence. "'I have marriage meetings to reschedule for Draco, as his suddenly rigorous work schedule has made him unavailable. I also—' Narcissa froze, blinking rapidly, eyes moving from side to side in evident and growing unease as she tried to scan her own thoughts. Whatever was on the tip of her tongue was gone. Forgotten. When Narcissa became visibly disturbed, Hermione rested a gentle hand on her shoulder, shifting her focus from what was gone back to her— it took nearly half an hour to reorient her patient before Hermione's efforts finally took hold, and she began to settle. The tension slowly seeped from her body. "'What is it, Miss Granger?' Hermione and Sax exchanged looks, silently agreeing it was better if neither reminded her of what she'd forgotten. "'You just had a bit of dust right there. I've gotten it. I believe we were discussing your plan for the day.' "'Yes,' quick on the uptake. Sax further distracted Narcissa from her moment, while Hermione ran another round of diagnostic charms in search of a trend. Mrs. Malfoy has to make an appearance at the Blishwick Tea Hour. She also had a robe fitting for the next weekend's society event. I suppose we should hurry along. Narcissa rose to her feet slowly, her peach robes highlighting a tinge of healthy color on her cheeks. If there is nothing further, I need to prepare. Hermione waited until they left before reviewing the results. There was nothing particularly alarming about them. After preparing a simple lunch, she headed to the ministry for a meeting of her own. She attempted to blend into the crowd, but received far more of her fair share of glances from employees in the atrium. It came with the territory. Rumors were spreading like wildfire. Hermione ignored the looks and stood in the queue for the lift. Everything was fine until someone not only stepped too close for her comfort, but also too close for the contact to be accidental. Cormac. "'Must we do this again?' Boredom leaked from every word. "'Surely you must have better ways to use your time.' "'Today my presence is merely coincidental.' It didn't sound like a lie, but it felt like one. "'After your show in front of the Wizengamot, my uncle has no further interest in recruiting you to return to the Ministry. He doesn't believe he can control you the way he would like.' The statement was unexpected but easily forgettable. The edge in his temperament, however, was not— Cormac still appeared just as smug as usual, but there were universal signs of stress in his body language. It made her wonder just how things at the top were beginning to unravel. Were they at the point of no return? I'm glad everyone knows how serious I am. Yes, your threats, not threats, Hermione corrected sharply without rancor. I wouldn't waste my time or breath threatening. They moved up in the queue. Only four people stood between her and the lifts. I do, however, make promises that I intend to keep, either directly or indirectly. Cormac's smug expression faded slightly before it returned with new vigor. Such a waste. His voice made her skin crawl. Defending Draco Malfoy of all people. Your threat left us in a predicament that has brought a lot of unwanted attention and criticism to the Ministry. Both of which are much earned by the carelessness and arrogance of your uncle, the minister, and all of those who support his leadership and benefit from his corruption. As for Draco, I did what was right, and I would do it again. Their argument aside, Hermione had no regrets about her actions that night in front of the Wizard Gamot. 
She could compartmentalize her feelings and separate the Draco Malfoy she defended from the man who, if he didn't give her the cactus back, would need defending from her. Such conviction, Cormac hissed. His breath was hot in her ear. It very nearly tickled, like a flying bug. She killed it by stepping back and giving him a look that could easily be classified as disgust, even by someone as willfully ignorant as him. He smirked, not letting it deter him one bit. There's a ferociousness in you that I'd never seen until that night. I'd admire it, if only you were that ferocious in other ways. The lift arrived and they filed on. Her hopes of slipping off unnoticed evaporated when she found herself alone with him after everyone else cleared out at the first stop on level seven. Cormac wasted no time returning to both their conversation and Hermione's side. He used his body to crowd her into a corner, but she was more than willing to fight her way out of it if provoked. "'Your cologne smells like burning rubbish.' "'Don't lie,' Cormac loomed even closer. "'You love it.' Space. Hermione needed it. As if granting a wish, the lift abruptly changed directions, which made him stumble backwards, and allowed her to regain her footing enough to position herself with her back to the door. Cormac was only marginally deterred, but remained in the center of the lift. "'Why would someone like you threaten the Wizengamot to defend the ex-Death Eater?' It's something I've thought about, something I find myself very curious about. There's nothing to think about. Cormac shook his head. I know what nothing looks like, and as a nephew of the Chief Warlock, I would worry more about your own safety than something that's none of your concern. They didn't give up the prisoners, so it's only a matter of time before Death Eaters retaliate. The doors opened on level six, and no one was there. Hermione could have gotten off to wait for the next lift, but she didn't want a chance Cormac following her. She swallowed hard as the door slid shut. So, no one told you the details of the security breach on Sunday? I have no reason to know, as I am not an employee of the Ministry. Speaking from one person who has been targeted for years by Death Eaters, you should worry about yourself. The smile on his face turned rakish. Do you care about my safety, Hermione? She did dignify that with a response. I have Aurors watching my home and my person. From what I hear, you could use the same. I could make that happen for you. I could even protect you myself. His blatant visual perusal of her body was revolting. It's a job I would gladly volunteer for. You? Protect me? Hermione snorted incredulously. Hardly. The doors to the lift opened on level five, her stop. Cormac didn't follow her. But before the door shut, she heard his final words. Until next time. It took the entire walk to her destination for Hermione to shake off the stench of Cormac's words and his cologne. When she arrived, the door was open and Percy was waiting inside. His office was clean in a clinical sense that was fitting to his character, but also cluttered in a way that it wasn't. Stacks of parchment rolls and books were ordered neatly on the side of his desk, while large piles of file folders and papers littered the other half. The sight was jarring, not because of the disorder that bordered on too much for Hermione, but because Percy was calmly seated in front of the chaos on his desk. "'Why didn't you access my office through the flu?' Percy stood to greet her, dressed like the epitome of composure that he was. "'I didn't want to be accused of sneaking around the Ministry, so I took the public entrance.' "'Fair.' Percy waved the door shut behind her. "'Any eyes on you?' "'A few.' Hermione took the seat next to his and crossed her legs, declining the peppermint candy he silently offered with a wave of her hand. 
I saw Cormac in the atrium. He seemed a bit out of sorts. Ah, so they'll know you've come here. I have to remind myself to sweep the office for foreign charms and objects in the morning. Percy said flippantly as discussing the weather. Tiberius' paranoia increases every day, especially after Sunday's security breach. I imagine that's why Cormac is stressed. He mentioned the breach in the lift, but was surprised I didn't know about it. Which breach? There were two, actually. At the same time, no less. Percy noticed her expression and offered the explanation she sought. I'm not certain why you would know about them. The first we were notified of involved the remaining members of the Wizengamot and their families, his included. Their ministry files were compromised during the chaos that ensued after the initial breach, which involved someone attempting to release an unknown powder into the air in the atrium. Unknown? Hermione's eyes narrowed. Was it ever identified? Harry and Draco's interrogation yielded quicker results than the poisoning team's test. It took most of the night for them to get it out of the prisoner, but it's very much the same poison you're thinking of. The one you've seen. Percy stood up. It appears they've managed to successfully alter it from a liquid to a powder. No doubt with the help of the kidnapped potioner. Test shows that it's not as potent, but still dangerous. Years of threats and lace letters had now been broadsided by a larger one that only needed an open space and intent. One spell could send powdered poison in all directions, infecting everything and everyone within its reach. The magnitude of the possibilities was chilling. What was worse was the fact that, due to the Ministry's prior inaction, they were already behind, which gave the Death Eaters more time and access to their captured potioner for any further tweaks. What is Tiberius doing about this? He put it all on Hestia, and by extension Draco and Harry. At least he's throwing resources at the problem, no matter how selfish the motivation. Because he was now at a greater risk of being infected. Hestia reached out to Theo, who formed a permanent team of poisonings to assist. The only issue the DMLE has now is staffing. The Coalition has sent over Aurors to assist, but they have to train everyone. At least she knew why Malfoy hadn't been around. Okay, so why would they choose Sunday? There's hardly anyone here. Practice. Percy gave her a meaningful look. At least that's my hypothesis. Theo is leading the push for the antidote's mass production. He has a small team working to alter the potion enough for it to be taken before infection rather than after. That was something Hermione hadn't known, but not surprising. Theo tended to be several steps ahead of everyone. The powers that be are going to be interested in assisting his efforts. Of course they are, now that they're in danger. Conversation lulled, but not for long. Percy checked his watch and straightened his tie, while Hermione watched him with growing curiosity. She was mere moments from vocalizing her thoughts when he broke the silence. Due to recent events, we've rescheduled tonight's meeting. Meeting? Oh. Oh? It wasn't on her magic schedule, and therefore not on her mind. Malfoy hadn't told her about it the night of the solstice, but the details had been lost to the evening. Hermione ran a hand through her hair. Just let me know when and if I can do anything in the meantime. Your appearance was recruitment enough. People are interested and ready to fight. Good to hear. I don't want you to exert yourself, Hermione. Nor do I want you to become the face of a movement you never intended to join. You have enough going on as it is. He wasn't wrong, but that didn't negate her willingness to be of assistance. I could take on a very small task, but I don't think there are any small tasks involved in overthrowing corruption. Percy laughed. Likely no. To be honest, I may need one thing from you. It's not something you have to do right this instant, either, but— Kingsley? Hermione was astute enough to figure out that piece of the puzzle. You want me to try to change his mind? 
It was a very tall order. From our talk recently, he seems to be erring on the side of acting as an advisor to whoever will take over. But he did say that he would consider my proposal should I present it. At least the door is open for that. What are you going to say to him? I'll need time to think about it. She wouldn't step a toe in that direction without a solid plan. Anything else? How is your interpretation of Malfoy's translation going? It's... Percy chose his words carefully. Slowly. Oh? As you know, Draco has been translating the old magical law text, and I've been interpreting those texts. But that takes time. At the rate he's going, myself and the small team I've assembled won't have it done in time for it to be effective. Malfoy was only going that fast because he was sacrificing sleep, but Hermione kept that to herself. She had little room to judge. Tiberius is erratic at best. The louder the noise, the harder he tries to drown it out. Right now, he's turned his attention to the Diagon Alley tenants. They're starting to push back and argue the legality of their leases. I'm also recruiting, and people are beginning to turn to the restoration. More and more officials are noticing his behavior. Unsurprising, really, as he's beginning to turn on all of them. So we're building evidence against him. It seems as though the walls are closing in on him. Hermione couldn't curb the bite in her tone, nor did she care. Good. They are, but I need to devote time to that fight. My magical law knowledge is a little rusty, but research is a specialty of mine, as you know. I can always find an answer, if needed. Hermione suddenly had the growing realization that he was trying to feel her out. About what? What aren't you asking me? She knew Percy well enough to point out that his shiftiness began around the talk of Malfoy in his translations. If you're going to try to assess my willingness to interpret Malfoy's translations, or work with him in any capacity, the better question is, would he want to work with me? He works alone, and he does, typically. But the election is being held next August, and the minister is already in the race for re-election, and campaigning. We're running out of time to expose them both and submit our own candidate— Draco is aware. Does he know you were planning to ask me? Hermione folded her arms. Yes, and he's already agreed. Before shock could spread across her face, there was a knock on the door. Two rapid ones. A pause, then a single knock. Percy smirked and moved as he waved the door open. As it turned out, they both knew the visitor. Pansy. She looked extremely put out, which wasn't an unfamiliar expression, nor was it one that bothered Percy. In fact, his eyes brightened in that muted way of his, equal in meaning to the slight softening of her scowl when Percy greeted her by pressing a kiss to her knuckles. The scene provided more ammunition for Hermione to use, but judging from the daggers she had to quickly dodge, Pansy knew just that. Hermione's grin widened. "'I'll leave you both to it,' Hermione rose from her chair. "'Percy, we'll speak on that request later. Oh, and Pansy?' Don't forget about girls' night on Friday. The conversation is sure to be illuminating. Some days I loathe you. Love you, too. Hermione blew a kiss and left with a pep in her step. Even with no real destination in mind, Hermione gravitated towards the Aura's office. The closer she got, the more focused she became. Malfoy. Or, rather, her need to lock down a meeting time, date, and location that worked with his busy schedule. By the time she greeted Dolores, Hermione had a clear mind and a course of action. She knew little about Malfoy's day, except that he and Harry had been working together a lot lately. All she had to do was find one to find the other, but Harry wasn't in his office. He's in the training room briefing for the French Oars, who have just arrived. She looked so excited. It's so wonderful that they're getting what they need to deal with the Death Eaters once and for all. 
Where is the training room located? Just down the hall, Dolores pointed. The room is glass. You can't miss it. Thank you. Hermione smiled graciously, but before she could leave, Dolores said something interesting. If you're here for lunch, Malfoy's already eaten today. He and Mr. Malfoy had an early lunch together. There was yelling, but I think they were arguing about Quidditch. A peculiar development. Oh? She could hardly hide her surprise. I never thought they would get on, but I'm not entirely certain they do. But it's far less tense around here than it was when Harry was first promoted. Perhaps they respect each other now. That goes a long way. True. Hermione mused on that as she walked to the training room. Dolores had been right. It was extremely easy to find. The glass wall gave her a view of Harry, who stood closest to the door like a casual observer. She also spotted Malfoy in his usual black, speaking to a captive audience of twenty or so unfamiliar witches and wizards, all seated in four lines with no aisles. Hermione couldn't hear what was being discussed. Despite the open door, the room was spelled for privacy but she could see one of the witches in the front row now blushing and smiling prettily at Malfoy. How unprofessional. The far wall was lined with long rows of have-you-seen-this-wizard posters, featuring each known Death Eater, associates, members of their inner circle, and some other witches and wizards she didn't recognize. Their faces were twisted into deranged sneers, and their crimes were listed under their pictures in typeface too small for Hermione to make out from where she stood. A few of the photos had bold black X's, indicating either capture or death. In the center, between Rebastin and Amicus Caro, was Fenrir Greyback's likeness. He was the only photo not fighting against his chains or silently screaming and ranting. No, he was smiling, showing off his sharp teeth like a predator waiting for the chance to sink his teeth into prey. Greyback was nowhere near, but Hermione felt a familiar chill of fear curl in the pit of her stomach. She allowed herself to look, made herself look, just for a moment. Her fear passed like the retreating shadow of an eclipse. It would return. Until then, she scanned the rest of the room until her eyes fell on something familiar. Harry. He waved at her to come through the open glass door. For some reason, Hermione was nervous to enter. Jittery, even. She had never felt like this and couldn't understand why she did. Dismissing her nerves as ridiculousness, she shook her head and stepped into the room. Only then did she hear Malfoy speaking. Not that she understood what he was saying. It was in a different language altogether. French. Hermione intrinsically knew that he'd lived there for a decade, but it boggled her mind that not once had she considered that he spoke the language fluently. As she listened, the ridiculous part of her brain that recognized attraction lit up again. But Hermione's attempt to kill the zombie thought went awry, and now she had a problem. A growing irritant. Shite. Some interruption of Malfoy's monologue blessedly derailed her train of thought. A discussion broke out, and Harry tried to disguise that he was well out of his depth. But Hermione could spot the confusion from space. Clearly. She spoke enough to get around the streets of Paris like a tourist, only able to translate snatches of words here and there. Not that she was listening for content. She wasn't. If she were being honest with herself, she was only paying attention to the cadence of his voice. His French, to her inexperienced ears, was perfect and exact. Malfoy's British task force team rarely spoke to him long enough to ask questions, always deferring to Harry. But there was a familiarity in the French task force response to him. That was... curious. The next question came from the blusher, which involved another response from Malfoy that made Hermione listen, if only to figure out if he was being as professional as he sounded, or if he was being an arse, or friendly. It was hard to tell because she couldn't see his face, 
only his hands punctuated each point before returning to his sides, a habit from his mother's etiquette lessons he hadn't broken. This is Malfoy's task for a team from the French ministry. Hermione nearly jumped out of her skin, not realizing Harry was standing next to her. He didn't notice. They've been assigned here as part of the coalition. Apparently they all volunteered. They seem to both like and respect him, which is bloody weird. She cocked a brow at him. Says the person who had lunch with him today. Says the person who has tea with him regularly. That could have taken a sharp turn had Ginny told him about the solstice, but she hadn't, so Hermione wisely let it go. Before I forget, come out with us tonight. Hmm? Hermione couldn't take her eyes off Malfoy. For drinks. At the leaky around seven. It's the usual group. Sorry for the late notice, but it was a last-minute decision. Are you free? Uh... Hermione didn't have her magic schedule handy, so she couldn't be certain. But after finally looking at Harry and seeing the hopeful glint in his eyes, she figured she could shuffle some things around if need be. Sure, I'll be there. How long until this wraps up? He's been at it. Harry checked his watch. I think they're due for a break. Harry got Malfoy's attention by clearing his throat. Loudly. It made him pause and turn irritation all over his haughty, bespectacled face. Then Malfoy saw her. While his expression never changed, whatever he had been about to say remained trapped behind his pursed lips. "'What is it, Potter?' "'Let's take fifteen. You've been at it an hour.' "'Fine.' Malfoy turned back to the group, who were eyeing her curiously, and addressed them in smooth French. Soon they were out of their seats, talking amongst themselves, several of them exiting past Hermione, likely in search of the loo. Malfoy turned back to them. "'I'll stay, while—' "'Actually, I'd like to speak with you if I can.' From the edge of her peripheral, Hermione registered her best friend's surprise, recoil, but she was far more focused on Malfoy, a single eyebrow raised over the frame of his glasses. Me? His mouth flattened to a thin line before he made a stiff gesture towards the glass door. Very well. Lead the way, Granger. And she did, giving the still surprised Harry an apologetic look. There wasn't a place for them to speak close by, so Hermione set a privacy charm as soon as they exited the room and turned to face Malfoy. She glanced back to where Harry was speaking to the blusher, who obviously spoke enough English to hold a conversation. When the witch giggled at something Harry had said, Hermione rolled her eyes, and the rotation stopped when she realized Malfoy was waiting for her to begin, folding his arms and standing in a way that made him seem even taller. "'What is it?' "'You're not checking your scheduler, and since I was already here to meet with Percy, I thought I would come and schedule a meeting with you in person about my cactus.' His expression tightened, and his brows furrowed as he considered her with a measure of scrutiny. "'Let me make certain I'm correct.' His tone was unamused as his expression. He tilted his head slightly. "'You've taken it upon yourself to interrupt my briefing about a cactus that you are perfectly capable of retrieving.' "'Your office is locked in a way that's tied to the wards of your home. I can't enter, even if I tried. Furthermore—' You've already asked me not to enter your office if you aren't there, and I've respected your wishes thus far. A small twitch of his lips scored her a point, but Hermione didn't celebrate just yet. Secondly, I didn't interrupt anything. Harry did by allowing them a break they obviously needed. Hermione kept her features and words as neutral as possible, her objective and reasons in the forefront of her mind. Third, I'm not here to argue about a leaning cactus you keep leaving in my home. Yes, she mirrored his stance, feet apart, arms folded over her chest, her chin tilted up enough to meet his downcast eyes. It might not mean much to you, but it's important to me, and to your son who I know is important to you. Don't use my son as a weapon against me. 
Malfoy's coldness rivaled the frigidity of an arctic winter. It made Hermione bristle. That's not at all my intention. Malfoy unfolded his arms and brought them to his side. If that's all you want, excuse me. He attempted to smoothly pivot on his heel to leave. Without thinking, Hermione shot out a hand to stop him. To her surprise, it didn't take much effort. He glared at her hand on his arm, then at her. But she didn't retreat. She met his cutting stare without flinching. She wasn't afraid, only determined, and set in her reason for being here. What do you want, Granger? Malfoy asked through clenched teeth, stressing every relevant word as his right hand curled into a fist. I haven't had enough sleep to— Neither have I, but another day can't pass without us finishing this conversation. She tightened her grip when he tried to tug away from her. I need you to set a time and be there. Everything else can wait. We have an audience. Hermione cut her eyes to the glass wall and— Okay, yes, they most definitely had an audience that was unabashedly watching. All curious, including Harry. Even though she knew she should have, Hermione didn't let go, armed with the knowledge that if she did, the conversation would be over and nothing would be accomplished. Scorpius is more important than the audience. She held her ground until she saw the shift, the flicker of change that made Hermione relax her grip. But it did little for the tension that had settled in her bones. The warmth that rose to her cheeks equally matched what she felt through his shirt, and what she saw just a hint of on his neck. "'Tonight at nine. Malfoy adjusted his glasses with his free hand. "'I'm not available any earlier, but neither are you. Potter invited me to attend your little group outing.' He sounded as if Harry had invited him to shovel a dragon dung for charity. "'I suppose we can discuss after.' "'Wait, excuse me?' Hermione had obviously underestimated the trajectory of the shift between the two men, because that was the very last thing she'd expected him to say. Of course, Malfoy had friends that would be in attendance as well, but not once had he ever turned up. Harry invited you, and you actually planned to attend. Unfortunately, he huffed out his irritation. Potter is persistent, annoyingly so. His expression would have made her laugh, but the situation was too bizarre. What world was she living in? The pub was crowded for a Tuesday night, jovial and energetic. Hermione walked in with Ron, who had arrived at the same time and earned a few looks, but no more than usual. The regulars didn't care about the presence of war heroes and their friends, but the younger crowd ogled her and Ron hard, whispering amongst themselves. No doubt exaggerated rumors of their reconciliation would be featured in the gossip rags. She gave it a week before she would have to sick Pavardi on them. The location of their table was ideal, in the back of the restaurant warded for silence and privacy. When they approached, she and Ron parted ways to greet everyone. The first thing Hermione noticed was the lack of Malfoy. Ron grabbed his usual seat next to Harry, while Hermione took a little longer to sit, striking up a conversation with Blaze. Per the flu call she'd received before leaving her home, Padma wouldn't be joining them. She'd asked Hermione to tell her fiancé that she'd see him at home later. What happened? Hermione explained that Padma's afternoon had rapidly declined, after the arrival of a new admission in the form of an unregistered, newly-bitten werewolf. He had tried to ingest a cure he'd bought from someone selling wares in Nocturnally that the Department of Magical Law Enforcement had been investigating. It ended up being a blend of ingredients, harmless to humans but poisonous to wolves, and had left him fighting for his life in St. Mungo's. How did she sound? Blaze's concern for his fiancée was far from subtle. On a scale of one to ten— like talking to your mother tired. Ah, 
He didn't wince, but Parvati and Ginny did, because they knew. Message relayed. Hermione took the empty seat located near the middle of the table, placing herself directly across from Pansy and another empty seat. Cho received a hissing glare when she tried to take it. Conversation was rapid fire, but with moments of lull. Chaos increased as they began switching seats to socialize with everyone. Susan left her seat next to Ron and went to chat with Cho. Ginny ended up in the empty seat next to Hermione, who had moved next to Blaze for a moment. The redhead greeted her with a hug before waving the barmaid over as best she could on a busy evening. "'Daphne or Dean coming tonight?' "'No, his mother is visiting,' Hermione said. "'I think they're going to watch a film.' "'Bold of anyone to assume either of them will make it through without leaving early.' "'Oh, they're watching it on the telly at home.' Ginny's laughter rang out. "'That sounds about right.' The server came to the table soon after. In addition to Hermione's indulgent order of steak paired with a glass of Cabernet, because she'd earned it, or so Pansy said from across the table, Blaze put in an order of Padma's favorite meal on their menu for takeaway, chicken and leek pie, as she didn't eat red meat. For himself, Blaze ordered another whiskey, but it sounded as though he might be leaving early. "'Who are we waiting on?' Susan asked cheerfully, face flushed as she drank from her own pint. "'Weasley's brother,' Pansy shrugged casually, as if she wasn't waiting for him. Susan gave her a look of disbelief that she pointedly ignored. "'Luna and Longbottom are gone to Ireland for the holiday, left by Portkey this morning, and Potter says that Draco agreed to come tonight. I'm curious about if he'll actually show.' "'He'd better,' Harry sounded deadly serious. "'Or else.' "'Or else what?' Hermione asked curiously. "'Oh,' his smile widened. "'I just threatened him with my presence.' Pansy's cackle rang out. "'You actually used that as a threat?' "'Excellent!' "'Why would you threaten him at all, Harry?' "'Because to Hermione, that was odd. "'Thought he could use a pub night out,' he shrugged. "'He's working when I get there in the morning, "'and he's working after I leave. "'He's wound tighter than a... "'Malfoy's coming?' "'Ron caught Blaze off before he could offer a colorful euphemism, "'rolling his eyes so hard his mouth half-opened from the effort. "'Ugh, you lot aren't bad, but Malfoy? "'Kill me now!' "'Pansy gave him a sharp look.' "'I'm certain that can be arranged, if you'd like,' Blaze finished with a pleasant smile that showed too many teeth to be sincere. Harry and Hermione exchanged looks with Ginny, then Theo, who tactfully removed himself from the equation by excusing himself to the bar as they hadn't gotten Cho's drink correct. Smart. Was the act necessary? No. But Theo never wanted much to do with Ron's clashes with any of his friends, nor did he want to mediate anyone's interpersonal issues.' He did enough of that while running the hospital. Keeping a handle on Ron's sharp tongue hadn't been her job in years, so he was well on his way to starting an argument when he was rendered silent by a well-timed silencing charm, delivered by the newest addition to the table, Percy. "'Good evening, everyone,' he greeted the table in that reserved timber of his, pocketing his wand in his navy suit. "'Ronald?' Percy was all politeness when he patted his brother, who looked hilariously betrayed on the shoulder— "'We mustn't forget to play well with others.' It earned him a scowl. Harry patted his other shoulder in support, but didn't undo the charm. Not just yet. Blaze cleared his throat of the laugh that threatened to escape, and Pansy, well, she was blinking repeatedly at Percy, a light blush staining her cheeks. Then she scowled, probably to make a point to herself that she was actually in charge of her own actions. Oh, and completely unaffected. "'You're not very convincing.' A tiny smile played on Hermione's lips. Pansy's glare could kill, but she was distracted when the barmaid brought their drinks. 
Hermione lifted hers first to Ginny, who accepted her own drink that Harry had passed to her, and clinked their glasses together. While Ginny and Parvati shared smiles, Hermione gave Pansy a knowing look. Percy sat beside her. "'You saved me a seat.' "'Of course not,' she rolled her eyes. The lie was so blatant Susan made a face. "'You hissed at me like a bloody cat when I tried to sit there. Joe, too!' Percy brought his fist to his mouth and cleared his throat, looking extremely humored while Pansy leaned forward and threatened poor Susan's life with her glare. "'I did no such thing!' "'Lies,' Pervardi added bluntly. "'Feel free to murder me with your eyes, but watch out for my face. It's my galleon-maker.' Harry scratched his head. "'I'm so lost right now.' Cho took mercy on Ron and undid the silencing charm. "'Bloody hell!' he turned to a sheepish Harry with a frown. "'Really?' I had to get rescued by Cho Bloody Chang when my best mate— Oi! Susan took Ron to task with a single look that made his eyes widen. Nobody wanted to be the focal point of her wrath. That's no way to talk about your savior! Thank you, Cho grinned fondly. Susan beamed. Sorry, Ron's ears tinted pink. For the record, there was no hissing, Pansy pointed out. Everyone looked at her with varying degrees of disbelief, which made her sulk. Percy leaned over and whispered something in her ear that made her pull back and catch his eye. One brow raised in a challenge. After flashing a roguish smirk, she playfully slapped his arm, but whatever he'd said lingered in her body language. She kept glancing in Percy's direction. A look passed between every witch at the table, even Cho. They had a topic for their next girls' night. Pansy looked vaguely horrified, but ready to fight them all off. Ginny smiled with all teeth. Excellent. "'Was that a fucking leer?' Ron finally caught up. "'Are you flirting with Pansy, bleeding?' he cut himself off, looking vaguely horrified. "'For fuck's sake! Are you two—' "'Are you actually blind?' Pravati rolled her eyes. "'Of course they are.' "'Is anyone else lost?' Harry asked the table. "'Just smile and nod, Potter.' Blaze sat back and enjoyed the chaos. "'Smile and nod.' Hermione and Ginny burst out laughing when Harry did just that, slowly— by the time Theo returned from correcting Cho's drink, conversation had split up by sections of the table. Percy, Susan, Theo, and Cho began discussing work or something, which severely bored Pansy. Harry, Ron, and Blaze began arguing over Quidditch. Typical. Ginny joined in every now and then to either correct them, give her opinion, or agree with one of them, and not always her husband. Pravati ended up swapping chairs with Blaze so she could join in on the conversation she and Ginny were having with Pansy, who had quickly turned out the conversation next to her, but hadn't moved. She and Percy were likely holding hands under the table. Pansy and Pravati talked about fashion trends for the summer. Hermione and Ginny could not care less. She finished her glass of wine and received her second when the topic of conversation shifted. "'How was your day, Hermione? You look a bit tired.' "'All right.' She didn't tell Ginny that she hadn't slept great. That would only lead to more questions, and she hadn't had enough drinks to answer any of them. You? Fine. Flew call with the kids. They're doing great. Alba said he was drawing with Scorpius and wanted ideas for pictures to send. I suggested a cow. They both chuckled. I'm glad he's made a friend. Makes the separation easier for him. I'm glad they both have each other. The drawing session had been a success, as Scorpius's walk around the garden while listening to Al's letter that floated next to him. I'm thinking about sending Albus a sign language book. I'm teaching Scorpius, and I think he'd want to learn to communicate with him. Oh, he most definitely would. Bill and Fleur could help. Fleur's been watching their art time and thinks their friendship is adorable. It truly is. 
Hermione drank down a little of her wine. How's the house hunt? We've narrowed it down to a few areas. Malfoy gave us the name of the muggle who sold him his house. Ginny laughed when Hermione blinked several times. You heard that correctly. My brain is trying to compute this, and... Well, look who decided to finally grace us with his presence. Pansy's announcement ended every conversation. Ron's face scrunched up, then tightened with pain. If she knew her friends, and she did, especially Harry, she would guess he'd stomped on Ron's foot to keep him from saying anything rude. Apologies. Malfoy's voice made her straighten her spine, which irritated Hermione for a myriad of reasons she refused to identify. She didn't need to turn, but did so anyway. Gray eyes were on her like a brand before he looked away to address Pansy. I was delayed at home. Hermione rubbed the twinge in her neck, then glanced back at Malfoy. He hadn't changed, but lost the tie and the jacket. His attire, stance, and look commanded every bit of attention he got. From Parvati, who ogled him without shame, Hermione heard a string of curses that sounded somewhat breathless. "'Sweet Merlin, he wears glasses? Help!' Ginny rolled her eyes. "'I can't stay, but as agreed upon, Potter,' he glared at Harry, "'I've made an appearance.' "'Your mother?' Harry's question had a level of understanding that piqued Hermione's curiosity. What had Malfoy told him about Narcissa's disease? Hermione hadn't said much of anything since agreeing to work with her. Malfoy's not answer was all she needed to grab her beaded bag and stand up, digging around for galleons to pay for her food, but Pansy waved it off. "'Go!' "'You can stay,' he put his hands in his pockets. "'She's fine now. Healer Keating is with her, and she's resting. Enjoy the rest of your evening.' Then Malfoy left." Enjoy her evening. Like that was going to happen when she had a job to do. I've got to go. Ron immediately protested. But he just said, I'm aware, but she is my patient. To everyone else, she gave a short nod. Sorry, everyone. Hermione left, catching more than her fair share of odd looks from Theo and Ron, and quick approving nods from both Harry and Pansy. She ignored everything in favor of following the tall, blonde man's trek through the length of the pub, dodging happy and pissed patrons alike. By the time she tumbled out of the front entrance, Malfoy was passing the abandoned apothecary that had yet to be repaired. As for the rest of the businesses, Diagon Alley was alive and well thanks to added security measures. Hermione passed two oars on her brisk walk to catch up with Malfoy, nearly bumping into three wizards and a shop door that had swung out abruptly. When she called his name, he stopped long enough for her to reach him. So what happened with Narcissa? She had an episode and accidentally apparated. She wasn't splinched when I found her, only confused. End of story. You're free to return to your evening. When Hermione didn't move, Malfoy's expression remained tight. I... I'd rather make sure myself. Hermione was a bit winded from her walk. I'm your mother's main healer, regardless of your thoughts on my qualifications. His jaw twitched. It wasn't the best statement she could have made in the spirit of reconciliation and such. Also, we are scheduled to continue our conversation soon anyway, so it's fine. Malfoy fixed her with a hard look that could have qualified as a scowl in a different light. Darkness had already fallen, and the glow from the streetlights was warm, casting shadows on them both. It made Malfoy look softer, less rigid. It was an illusion. "'Since you're determined, how many have you had?' "'What?' "'Drinks, Granger. How many?' Two, she added quickly. "'And I don't see how that—' Malfoy offered his arm. "'Oh, for side-along.' It was oddly thoughtful, but the meaning diminished to nothing when he coupled the look of irritation on his stern face. Still, with tentative hesitation, 
Hermione stepped alongside him and slowly accepted his offered arm. She looked up at him, and had only a second to notice the signs of stress creased at the corners of his eyes, before he pulled out his wand. They were gone with a pop. Malfoy waited by the bedroom door while Hermione reviewed Keating's diagnostic results on the now-sleeping Narcissa. She ran a few of her own, focusing more on identifying a trend after an episode, and made a note to review each in the coming days. But all in all, minus very slight changes, Narcissa's results were the same as they had been that morning. No rhyme or reason for the episodes. Still, she had her concerns. The list of them continued to grow day by day. Things were fine, but Hermione was forward-thinking enough to wonder about a future when they wouldn't be. Until she could fully get Narcissa on board, Hermione did the best she could. It had to be enough. "'What happened?' Hermione asked Keating in a low voice, glancing at Malfoy who caught her eye from across the room. "'I was given a very summarized version and have a feeling there's more to the story.' She had a sudden spell that didn't remember any of us, nor did she remember the date or the year. She was agitated and demanded we all get out.' Draco was in his office working before he was set to leave when she spontaneously apparated. He left, found her, and brought her back here before going to find you. Hermione glanced at the impassive figure by the door. How had Malfoy known where to look for her? Perhaps there was a common place she sought out, maybe somewhere from her memories. Hermione brushed the thought away. Now wasn't the time to hypothesize. Narcissa will be groggy in the morning. Any appointments she has, please see that they're cancelled or postponed. I will. Also, please monitor her hourly for the duration of the night. She's had a few good days. I was beginning to think. Keating looked down at the sleeping woman, and Hermione found herself intrigued. She hadn't considered her as someone who was fond of Narcissa, but somber was the only word to describe the expression on her face. It was interesting to witness another shift that had happened without her knowing. Her eyes fell on Malfoy again, and Hermione pretended not to notice that while he appeared supremely detached, he was listening. Why else would he stay? He could have easily waited for her in his office. So, through Keating, she spoke to him, and just as she was certain about the tea he made being perfect every time, Hermione was sure he would listen. We have a long road ahead of us. Some months will be better than others. Some weeks will be harder. Some days will be absolutely brutal. We all need to work together if we're going to have any success. Keating, you've experienced this before. With Astoria, the words wouldn't form. I have, but it doesn't make things any easier, Miss Granger. No, it doesn't. If Keating said anything else, Hermione didn't hear. More than half of her attention was on the quiet man by the door. His back was to them both as he stood in front of the still-life painting of his mother that hung on the wall, one that would only come to life when hers has ended. Careful, almost reverent fingers grazed the bottom corner of the beautifully crafted frame, adjusting it slightly to make certain it was perfectly straight. An odd action from someone who didn't— "'Miss Granger?' Keating's expression was one of worry. "'Are you okay?' Malfoy's head slowly turned. "'Perfectly fine.' Her quick response caused Keating's eyebrow to knit together in suspicion and confusion. "'In your report for this evening, please make certain to detail any odd behaviors that you noticed prior to the incident. Include every little thing you can remember. Just for reference. I will have to schedule a call with Charles to discuss, so please be thorough.' Before Keating could say anything else, Hermione left her to it, approaching her last task for the evening, the biggest one. Malfoy watched her approach with a guarded look, his body squared towards her with an airy severity. Rigid and alert, she felt herself tense more and more with each step. Are you finished? Yes. 
and my mother, will be monitored all night, but she is fine as of right now. Malfoy made a polite gesture to the door, and she slowly bobbed her head in response. Words weren't needed. He proceeded to walk on to the exit ahead of her, opening the door that would lead them to the hall and holding it ajar. Hermione blinked. He blinked back. She shifted her weight from foot to foot. I don't have all night, Granger. Neither do I, but you don't have to open the door for me. I'm perfectly capable. You're in my home. It's not unreasonable that I exhibit good manners. His voice lowered. I can stop. Hermione blinked at him twice, ignoring the warm sensation crawling up her neck. Is that why you make me tea? Malfoy didn't answer, not that she expected him to, but he gave her a long look from behind square frames. I haven't had enough whiskey or sleep to deal with the fact that you are grating the hell out of my nerves tonight. She opened her mouth to retort, then changed her mind. To be considerate, I can postpone this conversation until the morning. Let's just get this over with. But he didn't move, and neither did she. Well, until she realized that they would get nowhere until someone took the first step. So with a sigh, Hermione did just that. She found herself in the hall with Malfoy right behind her, shutting the door. From there, he led the way to his office. Hermione fell slightly out of step with him until they turned the corner. That was when he froze, staring at something Hermione couldn't see from her angle. She sidestepped him and spotted what had given him pause. Scorpius, with his blanket and pillow, was sleeping outside of Malfoy's office, and Hermione's heart hurt. She knew exactly why the little boy was there. The cactus. Malfoy sighed the sigh of a man too tired for words, and his shoulders slumped. Hermione almost said something, but he unlocked his office with a flourish of his wand, and the door slowly creaked open. He stood over his son, mouth twisted downward in consternation. Catherine said he's been outside my office all week. Good sense kept her from speaking, and patience kept her from moving. She wanted to see what he would do. Would Malfoy openly express the sentiments he kept so close? He glanced over at her for a long moment, then back at Scorpius. If I ask you to leave, will you? Do you want me to? Malfoy said nothing before crouching next to his sleeping son. Hermione watched with bated breath as he carefully brushed the sleep-tussled hair from Scorpius's forehead in a tender expression of affection. Then he scooped Scorpius up with careful ease he hadn't possessed the last time she'd seen him in this predicament. He'd gotten better. Malfoy rose to his full height, adjusting his son until his head was nestled in the crook of his neck. Scorpius's eyebrows knitted together as if trying to solve a problem a five-year-old shouldn't have to deal with, and Hermione's heart gave a fond flutter at the little frown on his face. But he slept on. His blanket and pillow. Can you pick them up? I'm taking him to bed. Without argument, Hermione picked up the blanket and followed Malfoy through the house, up the stairs, and into the first room on the right. She took in her first sight of Scorpius's bedroom in the dim light. It was everything a child's bedroom should be. Cool, comfortable, and tidy enough to match Scorpius's personality. But the room was sterile in an unsettling way. The bed, made of crafted wood, was in the center of the room, a focal point, but not one that was particularly memorable. She spotted multiple toy boxes lining the wall on the other side of the room, but they looked as though they hadn't been touched. Other than that, there was a small desk and a drawer set and a nightstand. It was very... empty. Hermione placed the pillow on the bed and pulled back the covers before stepping back to watch Malfoy gingerly lay Scorpius down and cover him up. He gave off a groan from all the movement, but didn't fully wake. Malfoy wore his trademark frown, but it was softened by the dim light. He took a step back, preparing to turn to leave. 
Hermione did the same, but a soft noise from the bed made her stop and look. The initial sign of struggle drew Hermione in, tugging against her reluctance and propelling her towards a little boy. She returned to his side, taking a careful seat on the edge of his bed. Good night. Her words were hushed as she smoothed the frown lines between his eyes with her thumb. Let the stars light the way to where your dreams can be found awaiting for your arrival. It was something her father used to say to her at night. Over and over, Hermione repeated the affectionate motion. His breathing changed, deepening until she was certain Scorpius was fast asleep. Only when she stood did she realize that she was, and had been, under a gaze so heavy it felt like a physical touch. Hermione boldly returned Malfoy's stare, not knowing what was giving her the extra encouragement she needed not to look away. She caught sight of conflicting emotions as they flitted across features like a montage of images flashing too quickly for her to properly identify. The moment continued until Scorpius shifted, his thumb finding his way to his mouth. A shaky chuckle escaped Hermione before she removed it slowly, giving his head a soft rub. "'It'll mess with his teeth,' she said by the way of explanation." which can be fixed with magic. Malfoy removed his glasses and tucked them into the pocket of his shirt. If my memory serves me correct, isn't that how you fixed yours? Yes, Hermione lifted her eyes to him. Are you ready? I am. There was a richness of his voice that she only noticed during quiet moments. Would you like a drink? I don't drink whiskey, Hermione said with the memory of his bottle at the forefront of her mind. Of course you don't. Malfoy's response was matter-of-fact, like he'd known. Follow me. The silent journey led to the part of Malfoy's home Hermione had never seen. Down the stairs to the lower ground level, she caught a glimpse of the pool before Malfoy steered her in another direction. The wine cellar wasn't an actual cellar, but a room located under the staircase. The large room was well lit and had rows full of bottles stored behind protective glass. Hermione looked around, not even sure where to start. I had no idea Narcissa was a wine connoisseur. She isn't. Malfoy was behind her, close enough to touch, should she be so inclined. She felt herself tense at the mere thought, nerves trying to betray her cool exterior when he continued. My mother can't stand the taste. Then why bother collecting? I'm not an expert, but I imagine that at some point the wine will turn into nothing more than worthless glass bottles. I have several opinions on the matter. But my mother would say that the essence of collecting is to hold on to something for the purpose of experiencing it when it becomes more precious. Malfoy sidestepped her and walked farther into the narrow room, stopping to angle towards her. His gray eyes were probing before he returned his attention to his mother's collection, reaching out to touch the glass only to change his mind and pull his hands behind his back. What she won't tell you is that she collects wine with the knowledge that, as she grows older, so will her wine. Malfoy's eyes roamed over each bottle with mild interest. Even as she declines with disease, the contents of this room will remain, mocking time, something she cannot do. Hermione reflected on the heavy statement, allowing it to sink in, really letting it rest in her mind until she was ready to speak. Everything has a shelf life. Having a collection without eventually drinking it is like building a home and never living in it. Pick one. Won't you... She won't notice because she didn't curate this collection. Malfoy turned his back to her. When you're interested in something, you're more likely to pay attention to it. My mother hired Daphne to scour the globe and fill this room with vanity items. Ultimately, they're meaningless to her. 
They fell into a silence that might have been described as comfortable, if it weren't for the strange feeling that the walls were sealing them into a room too small for them both. Choose. Though Hermione searched for something to catch her eye, she concluded that the task was impossible given the variety of choices. Chateaus, Contis, Cabernets, Madeiras, some of the wines were older than her parents. Other bottles were younger than her, but would age into their value. Each wine bottle was clean and perfectly placed. It looked like a museum. "'Do you drink wine, Malfoy?' Hermione asked, eyeing a German wine whose name she didn't try to pronounce. "'Only when I'm inclined.' "'You could choose a bottle for both of us.' "'Or you could pick what you like.' Malfoy turned around, studying her in a way that made Hermione shift uncomfortably from one foot to the other. "'Do you even know what you like, Granger?' I suspect your taste depends on the occasion, the meal, the convenience, or the company you keep. He approached the glass door closest to him. With a wave of his hand, it slid open. Malfoy scanned the rows of razor-sharp focus before extracting a bottle. In the interest of time, the oldest bottle of Saturnet will have to do. Hermione's journey ended where it had started that morning, Malfoy's office. Now, though, she was inside of it, Leaning against the shut door, she tracked his movements as he went about each task, transfiguring one of his whiskey glasses into something suitable for wine, uncorking the bottle, and letting it breathe. Hermione only looked away to take in the office she hadn't been inside of for a while, picking up all the small differences, even those that wouldn't be noticeable to anyone else. Children's books lined the bottom row of the bookcase, including a familiar plant book woven into the memory Hermione wouldn't soon forget. She continued scanning the room until her eyes fell on the cactus, which was in a place she hadn't expected. On Malfoy's desk, under a light, the bulb was bright enough to mimic sunlight, and the open book next to it displayed a larger version of the small plant on his desk. Hermione tore her eyes from the puzzling sight, allowing her focus to return to the most perplexing thing of all, Draco Malfoy. He was watching her quietly, steadily, lifting his brow before he went to his desk. He picked up the cactus, examining it as if it were runes on the bottom of the pot that could solve all of his problems. "'I'll confess I don't understand.' The quality of Malfoy's voice was low and gravelly. "'He has toys he doesn't play with, books and all sorts of gifts he's received, but it's this that he cherishes above all.' "'Sometimes we find similarities in unexpected things.' "'Is that so?' His expression was disarming, to say the least— like a first warning to keep her distance, but she was unable to stay away. Yes. Hermione joined him at his desk. She held her hand out for the plant that he gave her willingly. It's not always about material things, but the sentiment behind them. What sort of sentiment can be found in a cactus that doesn't even stand straight? Hope? Strength? For Scorpius? Companionship. She placed the plant on the desk. Al helps, but he's still lonely enough to find comfort in a cactus. Hermione felt a familiar stir of emotions that made her look away and down. You took that from him. Of course he's going to try and get it back. He's stubborn. He's your son, after all. For quite some time, Malfoy remained silent, pulling his glasses from his pocket and placing them on the desk as he circled it to shut the open book. In a quick display of wandless magic, he made a sharp gesture with his finger that pulled open the drawer in his desk. Another one lifted a bottle of whiskey from its depths, before resting it gently on top of his respectably cluttered desk. He poured her a glass of Saturnet that hadn't breathed long enough, but she didn't care. 
swirling the contents before taking a much-needed sip. It wasn't at all what she expected. Instead of a bold or floral, the taste was modest, slightly nutty with a citrus quality she appreciated. Malfoy poured himself a finger of whiskey, drinking it quickly before tipping more into the glass. That time he didn't rush. Holding it to his lips, his eyes stayed on her. And? It's good. Excellent, even. Something she could drink simply because she wanted it. How did you know I'd like it? Lucky guess. I'm not that predictable. In some ways you are. He shrugged and took another sip. But in others you aren't. I have to say, yelling at me about abandoning Scorpius was quite the surprise. You attacked me at the core of who I am as a person. If you thought I wouldn't defend myself or air my own observations and grievances, you don't know me at all. I never said that I know you. I just said that you are predictable. That implies a level of knowledge that you've just stated you don't have. Malfoy didn't respond, and she wondered if she'd struck a nerve. He finished his drink and left the empty glass on the table. Hermione sat in the chair and observed the careful way he put the book about the cactus back in its spot on the shelf. His back was still to her when what sounded like reluctant words spilled from his lips. I'll confess. I overreacted about the plant. When she made an involuntary sarcastic noise, his neck snapped to her. Hermione avoided his glare by looking at the family portrait above the hearth and drinking more of her wine. I don't take chances with his safety. I know. After finishing her glass, Hermione leaned back in the chair. Nothing in or out without your knowledge. That extends to the rigorous checks that you perform on the people responsible for his care and education, and unnecessarily extended to me, as you know my history. In some ways, Draco Malfoy was part of it. Furthermore, he's not to go anywhere without security, someone you trust, or you. That's all correct. He pulled over the chair next to her to sit down. Do you know why? I have an idea. Hermione placed the empty glass on his desk. Daphne told me a bit, but not everything. She said it was up to you. Of course she did. Malfoy ran a hand through his hair. Harry receives threats every day, but his kids aren't isolated. They attend school and have the opportunities to make friends. Scorpius is different because he's my son. Malfoy's tone was as tense as his face. What my family did was seen as betrayal, and it carries a sentence my father has already served and we've avoided for years. Death. However, they are no longer interested in my mother. If they do succeed in killing me, it'll be a bonus. But Scorpius... A look passed between them. He is my reckoning. Malfoy folded his arms. Who is more dangerous? His unexpected question eclipsed the silence. A man with nothing to lose, or one with everything. That's easy, Hermione allowed her eyes to skim the rows of books in her line of sight. A man with nothing will go to greater extremes. The man with everything is blinded and logically inconsistent. Malfoy made a non-committal noise. I'd like to challenge your way of thinking. I don't expect anything less. Your answer is correct. But you don't account for the people and their circumstances. Or him. A quiet voice whispered, noting the fierceness in his voice. A man with nothing doesn't know what it's like to have everything. But someone who has everything and loses it. There's no one more dangerous. Or vengeful. Which are you? A sensation coursed through her veins. Are you a man with nothing? Or everything? 
neither. Both. I have nothing for myself, but everything for him. The answer was so raw it evoked a swirl of mixed feelings in her, calling to mind so many responses that she thought it was wise if she said nothing. Hermione waited, swallowing each comment down until she was stuffed with the unspoken words, but she had to speak. "'You have Scorpius. You have your mother. You have your friends. You aren't a man with nothing, Malfoy. You're a man with everything who won't acknowledge it because the risk of losing it is more than you can bear.' The heavy weight of his eyes made it hard to even look at him, but Hermione persisted with an ease that only came with understanding. "'Is that another reason why you've kept your distance from him?' Malfoy drank another finger of whiskey. "'You're only as alone as you choose to be.' Hermione would have seen the incremental shift in him even if she were blind. "'I suppose you would know, wouldn't you?' He was right. Easy to admit that she saw a manifestation of it in the silence of a compassionate child— but how Hermione was faced with a bigger dilemma she could no longer ignore. She had to allow herself to see what she'd only heard about, and acknowledge that she had caught glimpses of in little moments over the course of days, weeks, and months. The loneliness in the man watching her, one that mirrored her own. Are you still lost? The question was out before she could stop herself, the echoes of a previous conversation still ringing in her head, not at all dulled by the wine. Are you... Hermione stared at him without answering, seeing the lies she told herself in his expression, her justifications in his antipathy, her excuses in his defensiveness. She felt loose from the wine and lack of food in her belly, honest and a bit raw from her introspection. Hermione waved her hand, poured herself another glass, and started sipping slowly. "'You know,' she chuckled dryly, "'my objectives in coming here were Scorpius, my cactus, and to apologize for saying you'd abandoned him.' "'And the rest?' Malfoy's question was nearly a whisper. "'Outside of what I've already apologized for, I meant everything else I said.' Silence returned like the deafening calm after the storm, but it didn't last. "'I suppose you're expecting an apology from me as well.' "'I don't set the same expectations for you as I do for myself. That leads to disappointment.' Hermione picked up her glass and approached the bookshelf right beside where he sat. She'd wondered if he'd read everything on his shelves. She ran her fingers along the spines until she stopped on a hardback that looked interesting. A classic. The Count of Monte Cristo. Second edition. Rare. It sat next to Tolkien. She studied the book to its right and left. Outside of the plant books, placed at the appropriate height for the reader. How Malfoy had organized his collection made little sense. That seemed to be a theme. Malfoy moved, and Hermione allowed herself to watch him stand up and approach the cactus again. For several minutes, they silently focused on their tasks. Hermione sipped her wine and tried to understand the logic behind the arrangement of his books. Malfoy studied the cactus, as if he were trying to unlock a code. "'I... I also meant what I said, except for certain unfortunate statements.' Well, that was better than apology than Hermione expected— what happened next surprised every single expectation she didn't have. Malfoy talked. While it's my mother's role to control what Scorpius learns from his day-to-day -day activities, outside of that, each and every external factor of his safety is my responsibility. Obviously not one he took lightly, judging from the cadence of his words and the fierceness in each one. It is also something that I can control. I don't leave anything to chance and luck. That may work for you and Potter, but that does not work for me. Hermione touched the elegant spine of the picture of Dorian Gray, first edition, 
priceless. It sat next to a biography. You can't control everything, but what you can, you will. She concluded after another sip. Lessen the variables and logistics to increase your control over the things you can. Am I right? She looked over her shoulder at the wizard who was leaning against his desk, holding the cactus in both hands. Malfoy nodded curtly. That logic was deeply appealing to the rational part of her brain, but it didn't work for the side that thought of Scorpius. That logic can be applied to everything, except people, especially your son. Malfoy frowned. I know the situation isn't ideal, but I do it for his safety. This way, I can focus solely on eliminating the Death Eaters, without having to worry about them getting to him. After, I'll reevaluate. No, Hermione turned around. You can't keep him isolated until you eliminate the threat against him. It could take months, years. He's not a wall of books you haven't organized. He's a child. You can't put him to the side to deal with later. When he started to tense, Hermione took a breath to stifle her anger. Then another... She finished her wine before speaking again. What I mean to say is that he's getting older. Each day he's changing. You don't know him, and the older he gets, the harder it'll be to find out because he's learning not to depend on you. And with his mother and grandmother. Hermione trailed off with some difficulty. Scorpius is your son. You can't continue to prioritize him incorrectly. By the time you're ready, it'll be too late. He'll resent you. If he doesn't already. His words were cold with bitter regret and brutal honesty. The simmering, self-righteous fire inside of her died. Malfoy, meanwhile, appeared angry for even saying it. He scrubbed a hand over his face. Twice. It wasn't her plan, but Hermione approached him before she could talk herself out of it. And now, as she stood in front of him, she didn't know what to say. Hermione ran her finger along the charmed spines of the cactus. Like trust, resentment isn't learned. It's earned through actions. You can control those. He's not old enough. My mother... For someone who pushes and challenges my thought process, you don't step out of the box that's been chosen for you. I won't presume to know how you were raised or understand the relationship between you and your parents. I'll only ask if you plan to raise Scorpius the same way. Her eyes made the journey to his. Are you going to make the same decisions that were made for you? Pick his life? Pick his wife? No, Malfoy recoiled. He will choose as he pleases. Then why does it matter if you wait until he's older to step in? It's just how it's been done. It's our way of doing things. He didn't know a different way. The fact that she didn't rant and rave about the pure-blood way felt like progress, but that had every bit to do with her conversation with Kingsley. Understanding his points provided a new perspective, which made her hope that one day Malfoy would be able to sort and pull and find a way of life that worked for him, too. One that was better for them both. I don't agree with how things are done, but I can respect it. However, at the same time, I feel it's your choice how you raise your son. Whether you get involved tomorrow or when it's deemed appropriate, you're going to help mold him into the man he'll become. What sort of man is that? Well, I can't say now, but you set the tone for behavior through how you treat him and others. Hermione found herself keenly aware of how close they were, how she had to lift her head slightly to bear the intensity of a direct look, but the cactus in his hand served as a point of reference, the only buffer between them. Your duty to Scorpius isn't just about his physical safety. 
It's about his emotional needs, too. You don't like leaving anything to chance, so you can't leave that to chance either. Her words were met with more of that complete and utter silence. And then came his defense, ready to challenge her. You're extremely opinionated about a child that isn't yours. Sometimes a good offense was an even better defense. Tonight hers would be honesty, both with herself and with Draco Malfoy. I care about him. I'm not ashamed of it. I'd apologize for intruding, but I'm not one to apologize for anything I'm not sorry for. And just like that, something in him leveled out, went silent, cooled. Malfoy cast a sidelong glance at her, then down, blinking several times. That time, his honesty wasn't so accidental. It was calculated. How did you... He cleared his throat. Catherine and my mother say he's taken a liking to you. Even between the lines, Hermione could read him clearly, understanding just a piece of him that made up the whole. Daphne's words were replaying over and over in her head. He didn't expect a second chance. Life rarely worked that way. But Draco Malfoy was just a person who had more losses than wins. A man who wanted what most people wanted. What she wanted herself. Connection. Perhaps she could help him make the most important one of all. The one with his son. If you learn the language of his silence, he's not difficult to understand. Hermione lowered her eyes to the cactus. If you want to learn, I can teach you. If you want to understand, I can show you. Sign language? So he knew about that as well. Catherine really couldn't keep a secret. That, too, if you'd like. Hermione allowed herself to relax and explain her bond with the boy more important than pride itself. Scorpius is as stubborn and prickly as the cactus he sees himself in. But he gets that from you. Malfoy narrowed his eyes, and she shrugged innocently, a familiar smile growing on her face. Why he likes me, I don't know. Perhaps it has to do with the fact that I'm dedicating time to show him something other than composure and rules. I talk and I pay attention to him. I give him a choice and a safe space. I show him the things I love and show interest in what he loves. I'm consistent and present. His eyes flickered away briefly, mouth tightening into a frown, but they returned and Hermione held on tight, unable to release him. There's nothing special you need to do, except stop being a ghost in his life. Reach out to him and he'll reach back. He watches you, not only out of fear and nerves, but because he wants to know you just as badly as you want to know him. He keeps every note and tries to read them. He can't quite read them just yet, but I think when he can, he'll understand you better. Until then, you have to stop hiding and show him who you are. Malfoy appeared deep in thought, his face drawn in concentration. You'll have to earn it, but he's more than worth it. There's kindness in him. You sound surprised that he's capable of those characteristics. There was that defensiveness again, but Hermione was unbothered by it, because she'd expected it to rear its ugly head. Is it because he's my son that you're surprised he's inherited something other than hatred and prejudice? Neither of those are innate. They're learned. The fact that he's neither of those things speaks more to the person his mother was— Perhaps they speak more to who you are now, rather than who you were taught to be. Malfoy was midway through the act of handing her the cactus when he froze. His sleeve slid back just enough for Hermione to see the bottom of the dragon that coiled around his arm. His eyes were still on her, still full and searching, but she didn't look away. She held firm and let him look. She had nothing to hide. I know why you protect him, 
but there are better ways to do that than shielding him from both the world and yourself. I don't understand your need to do everything alone when you have people willing to help. Why don't you trust them? I only trust myself, and sometimes I'm even wrong there. His honesty had been coaxed out by the whiskey. This is less of a gamble than the alternative. Do you even believe that? Or is it something you tell yourself as an excuse? You let everyone in to a certain degree. Some more than others, but they all have their pieces to his puzzle. For pure necessity, and in some cases sentiment. Daphne. Funny, she never thought of Draco Malfoy as a sentimental man, but Hermione knew better than to comment. I hope you trust that I would never give Scorpius anything that would hurt him. You're too noble to hurt him. That has little to do with it. He's a child. He's innocent. Not to everyone. Malfoy's chuckle was rueful. To the Death Eaters. He's a means to my end. To everyone else. At the end of it all, no matter what good I do, he's still a Malfoy, and he's still my son. There are people out there who will judge him by that alone, who will hurt him for that as well. The sins of the father don't always pass to the son. Malfoy tensed and Hermione watched his fingers trail down the spelled bristles as if testing the charm. Why does it lean when it appears to be healthy otherwise? If you must know, the reason I haven't given it back is because I was trying to straighten it. But no matter how much magic I use, it won't correct itself. Which was, well, Hermione wasn't exactly sure what to think about that. Because it's recovering, and things like that aren't instant. Water, sunlight, a proper home, patience, and time— It'll take everything aligning for nature to change its course, not magic. The same could be applied to Scorpius, and to him. He tilted his head slightly, frowning. Why did you give it to him? I didn't. Unconsciously, Hermione followed the expressions of his countenance. But I've realized the cactus is just as much his as it is as mine. And you would just give it to him? The concept seemed foreign to Malfoy, who had figured out long ago that life was transactional, and some things came at a price he wasn't willing to pay. Why? He doesn't need your pity. Never pity. Then, kindness. Hermione covered his hands with hers, feeling his warmth on her palms. Whether or not you accept it or believe me, you deserve it too. Let kindness be the language of your heart. Alexandra Vassiliou Chapter 20 Observational Awareness July 8, 2011 There was no such thing as a perfect revolution. Each one had its own unique challenges, and it didn't take long for Hermione to suss them out at the core of Percy's movement. First and foremost, there was friction. Multiple layers of it. It wasn't problematic now, but in the future it could threaten dialogue, test old loyalties, or disallow the opportunity to create new solutions to problems that arose. There was no telling which way it would go, but Hermione could easily see why Percy had kept her and Harry out of the fray. But now that they were in, there was no turning back. The problem seemed to boil down to the fact that there were many, many different minds, views, and beliefs crammed into one room, working to resolve one multifaceted problem. There was no easy solution, no right or wrong. Every decision was, to its core, gray, with hints of old issues mixed with new ones strewn about, ones that Percy had asked her ahead of time to keep an eye out for. Observation was the best way to document and analyze those present, and before the start of the meeting, Hermione did just that, slipping into a role she hadn't worn regularly for years. 
the politician. She wore the role like a set of ill-fitting robes, but no one could tell except her. There was tightness and discomfort. The material, which once felt like a second skin, wasn't familiar at all. But tonight it would have to do. Hermione performed. It was what she did best. Guarded interactions appeared genuine and chummy. She gave them the illusion that she was playing their game while not actually engaging at all. Nearly everyone present was familiar, and she quickly got reminders of their personalities and refreshers of their dynamics while they interacted with the others, but a few of them were new. Not that it mattered how well she knew any of them. New and old alike, everyone was happy to see Hermione Granger again in a political capacity. Though they all asked her when she was coming back, she knew better than to answer. Instead, Hermione absorbed their words and filed each person with three categories, who was genuine, who had their own agenda, and who had lost sight of the ultimate goal of restoration. The task was simple yet necessary. They were all leaders in their own rights, the elite among the oppressed, and history told her that they were the ones ripe with potential to become a new generation of oppressors, which simply could not happen. It didn't take long for Hermione to confirm two things. Everyone present was an unequal blend of the first two categories. All of them were unified against a different common enemy, Draco Malfoy, or, more accurately, their complete distrust in him. It wasn't overt around Percy, but when out of earshot, true colors emerged, and their discontent with Malfoy's presence became pronounced. From the moment he entered, excited eyes turned sour, and polite smiles transformed into sneers. Tension rose like a swelling tide, soon to overflow. If Malfoy noticed, he didn't react. He spoke few words, and only to Percy and Harry. To her, he offered a glance Hermione had no hope of deciphering, but that didn't stop her from trying as he sat in the wing-back chair and waited for the pre-meeting social hour to conclude. After their exchange substantiated the rumors of cooling antagonism, they stopped complaining about Malfoy and Harry's presence, which he acknowledged with a quick look in her direction before excusing himself to allow Hermione to finish collecting data. Without prior knowledge of any direct link between them, everyone spoke openly and didn't hold back their opinions on Malfoy. Cold, entitled, paid his way into his position, arrogant, rude, death-eater, a wolf in sheep's clothes. Nothing new. They nudged and hinted and poked Hermione to voice her opinion, but she navigated their comments and chose her words carefully, all without giving them the proper fuel to intensify their ire. "'What do you think about him?' The direct question from the head department of magical accidents and catastrophes was bold and probing, a repeat of the ministry's head librarian question. I didn't come here to give my opinion. I came here to help with the restoration. It was clear she wanted a response Hermione wouldn't offer, but she left it at that as the group relocated to the specific meeting room. The assembly took place in a wizarding library Hermione had never heard of. Guards had greeted her at the door, stepping out of the shadows and shedding their disillusionment charms. It would have been more alarming had Percy not warned them all prior to their arrival. After checking their identities, neither she nor Harry had been allowed their wand upon entrance. Hermione had even reluctantly turned over her beaded bag. She had been thoroughly unamused when wands were only allowed to members. Warded for silence and privacy, the space they entered was little more than a large conference room. It was decorated traditionally, but the atmosphere was as sterile as the mood around the elaborate circle table as everyone took a seat. Deliberately Arthurian on Percy's part, the table was a symbol of equality and unity, but also an illusion. Tiberius is on the move to try and suppress the rumors of backroom deals that keep coming out in gossip rags. 
The elderly head of the central department shuffled the papers he'd brought. He has threatened them with sanctions and made a similar threat to the Prophet. Skeeter isn't happy and is willing to work with us, but I only trust her to infiltrate his office. She has a way of getting damaging information that's beneficial. Hermione exchanged a quick look with Harry. Of course she did. Send her my way. I'll handle any exchange of information. But Percy didn't look pleased about the potential alliance as he glanced across the table at different wizard. Kent, how have you managed your task? I haven't been able to infiltrate his circle. That was interesting, because he ran the Wizengamot administration services and likely worked closely with each member, Tiberius included. He's closed his ranks around himself since the murders. He's questioning more employees and terminating anyone who can prove is involved in the restoration. He wants to fill the seats of the murdered Wizengamot members with his own allies, but none of them want to take the positions. Likely because of the massive threat they'd be putting on their backs. Percy sat in thoughtful silence for just a second. I'd advise you to continue what you're doing. He would see any change in your behavior as an excuse not to trust you. Don't give him a reason to interrogate you. On and on it went. More and more reports of the Wizengamot scrambling to save themselves and the fallout of their incompetence getting exposed to a degree. Backroom deals being made that favored the elite. Suppression of anyone trying to vocalize the hypocrisy. Talks of time in Azkaban given to any employee who speaks out or divulges information to the hungry press. Not at all legal. It was every bit the mess Hermione thought. And so much worse because their attempts at fixing it were so thinly veiled even a blind person could see the reason behind their actions. The only bright spot was when Harry, of all people, spoke up. A member of the Wizengamot approached me in the last week, offering to help oust Tiberius. The entire room, including Hermione, looked at him in shock. Harry instinctively rubbed his forehead. I, uh, acted like I didn't know what they were talking about. Smart. We'll discuss that later. Percy took mercy on his brother-in-law. Anything else? Once all pertinent updates had been given, Percy opened the floor for questions, albeit reluctantly. Hermione was quickly reminded about their second common enemy, who was sitting up in acute awareness as everyone looked to one presence. The head of the Department of Mysteries, which had been crippled over the years with Tiberius monitoring their every move. Outside of Percy, and with Hestia not present tonight, he was the most senior-ranking department head and acted as such. "'Some of us have concerns that I have been nominated to express.' "'Cowardly.' Hermione scanned the room, taking in their expressions and noting the few that didn't seem to agree with his presentation. "'I would hope that I have provided a safe space in which you all allowed to speak freely.' Percy's address to the room brought everyone's attention back to him. "'If I have not, please advise me so that I can make the proper adjustments.' When no one said anything, he addressed the speaker. "'Now that that matter has been addressed, I would prefer that you speak for yourself in this setting and allow the opportunity for others to do the same.' Percy sounded painfully professional, but there was a slight glint in his eye that spoke of annoyance. "'We each have our tasks, of course, but we haven't received a single update regarding the law translation efforts in months. Is that still happening?' "'Yes. I'd like to be updated by Mr. Malfoy.' Percy was interrupted by the head ministry librarian. Malfoy remained inscrutable as ever. "'Very well.' He folded his hands, appearing relaxed, if not for the sharp look in his eye. "'I have translated three of the nine books that I have discovered which may pertain to our situation.' "'Only three. Hermione nearly recoiled. She knew the hours he dedicated to more volunteer work he'd never get any credit for doing. Apparently she wasn't the only one who thought the comment was unreasonable. From the corner of her eye she saw Harry purse his lips. Percy's jaw clenched. "'Yes.' 
Three. Malfoy's words were tactfully clipped. There are at least a hundred pages in each book. And it takes three months to translate, the head of the magical artifacts asked. I only inquire because the last meeting you attended was three months ago when you first started. Percy started to speak, but Malfoy cut his eyes over and nodded confidently. As a matter of fact, a translation of this magnitude should take three times as long, as I must first read it in order to decide what parts are pertinent. I hardly are you fluent in any other languages than runes. No, I can't say that. Does anyone else have concerns? Malfoy addressed the room in a deadly serious tone, looking around as everyone averted their eyes. Hermione leaned back in her seat, impressed, yet not at all surprised. Very well. Malfoy straightened his spine. At this time, I'm not entertaining any complaints about the speed at which I'm translating laws from a language no one in this room speaks. It took every shred of Hermione's composure to keep her face even. Several people gaped, Harry included. At least he managed to smother his amusement with a light cough as he nudged her foot under the table in a move Hermione ignored. Her focus was on the man who wasn't finished speaking. I will, however, provide updates on my process, if any of you are actually interested. One quick look around the room was all he gave. Percy, feel free to carry on if there are no other questions. Actually, I have a comment, Kent spoke before Percy could continue or possibly call the meeting to an end. Your response to Miss Hopperton was rude and uncalled for. I thought I was being nice. Malfoy leaned back in his chair. Especially considering the audacity she managed to find to speak on a task I've devoted hours of each day to completing. Hermione crossed her legs, resting her elbow on the arm of her chair. We are all well within our right to have questions about your task and about you. The head of magical transportation stated plainly. Others began to pipe in with sounds of agreement. When she felt Harry shift to speak up in defense, she knocked him under the table and shook her head. Best if he didn't. Percy had even settled into the background, watching and waiting with a glint of humor. Yes, you are just as I am within my right to question you or anyone else. Malfoy leaned forward in his seat, elbows on the table, emerald signet ring the only bit of color on him. What is it you're doing again? The blonde wizard tilted his head slightly. I don't believe your tasks require any skill beyond basic reading comprehension. That response didn't earn him any new allies, but Malfoy obviously didn't care. How are we to know if what you're translating is accurate? It was a fair point from the librarian, who was still red-faced from Malfoy's comment. But truth be told, it sounded nothing short of retaliatory. Percy stepped up. I am part of the team that interprets his translations to determine if the laws are to use in our cause— if anything, the length of time it's taken to determine if we can use any logs rests squarely on my shoulders. That should have been enough, and for some it was, but the head of the Department of Mysteries naturally had more to say. No offense, but I don't understand how you trust this. I asked if there were any others who may speak the language of these texts, Malfoy said slowly. I don't recall you raising your hand. Therefore, your comment is worthless to me. He stood up abruptly. You might have Percy fooled. Must we go through this every meeting, Winston? Malfoy looked bored. This conversation continues to be exceedingly dull. Hermione balked at the thought of having to argue his integrity every single meeting, in addition to the burden of his translation work and actual work. And even deal with her, she thought with a slight cringe. Argument after argument, fight after fight, constantly pushing forward but never getting anywhere. It must be exhausting to live a life like that. And yet here he was, not backing down. 
I just think that this is the reason for how slow things are going. Draco's translation work is involved in one of the plans, but it is not the only plan, Percy said. If we all play our parts and continue to work together. Or we could recruit someone else to translate. Someone more reputable. The murmurs of agreement soon escalated. It was the first time Hermione wondered if things would slide beyond Percy's control. Likely not. Be my guest. Malfoy opened his hands casually. I have much better ways to spend my time, but I highly doubt you'll find anyone in the country that speaks this language willing to help you for a fee you can afford. You're more than welcome to try, but I'll be finished translating those books before you find a volunteer. There's no need to be condescending, the head of Central Intelligence snipped, and there's no need to be willfully ignorant to your own bias. Hermione heard Harry's very low whistle at Malfoy's response. She would have kicked him again, but he had a point. I find it ironic that you, of all people, dare to call someone. This is not only counterproductive, but also a waste of my time. Malfoy's tone was professionally even, but she knew better. She'd seen him angry before. Only once, but it was memorable. The signs were there. The change in the way he carried himself, the set of his jaw, and the rough edge to his voice. If any of you wish to check my work, be my guest. I'm not wasting words on people who only deserve my silence. As far as I'm concerned, this conversation is over. The silence that fell was loud enough to momentarily crush the tension in the room, but not for long. Percy, you cannot be serious about allowing this, this. I've heard enough. Unintended words escaped her mouth. Once they were out, Hermione realized that, yes, she truly was finished. I've also seen enough. If I wanted to listen to squabbling, I'd be with my chickens. I fail to see we don't have to like each other in order to work together. We must have common goals, and we do. Hermione eyed the head of the Department of Mysteries. Though she wasn't familiar with him, she knew enough to understand he had his own agenda. Let's focus more on that goal and less on fighting an ally. That is not how you win a war. This is your first meeting, Miss Granger. I don't think you understand. Hermione gave the wizard piercing look. You and I aren't acquainted, sir, but I assure you I don't need an explanation. You have complaints, but there is no evidence of any wrongdoing on Mr. Malfoy's part. Furthermore, I don't see anyone volunteering to help. I just hear criticism about a process no one understands. Not even a librarian. She cut her eyes to the witch on his left. Since there are concerns, I will work on the interpretation with him directly in my spare time. If you don't trust him, you should trust me. Her words were met with that heavy silence again, but more importantly, no opposition. Is there anything else? Hermione looked down at her hands, then up across the table. Malfoy regarded her curiously, likely because, while Percy had asked her a week ago, she hadn't given an answer. In fact, the decision hadn't been made until the words slipped out of her mouth. But Hermione didn't take them back. The meeting ended on a quiet note, and after giving her thoughts on everyone to Percy, Hermione was ready to leave and have a quiet night at home. Instead, she found herself in the entryway, looking down the hall where the library floor served as a visual temptation. "'Would you like a tour?' Bl oh it's you, Malfoy!' Hermione jolted hard at the sound of his voice, pressing a hand to her chest as she spun around. "'You startled me!' A slow exhale later, and she shut her eyes as a rush of settling nerves overwhelmed her. In his hand was her beaded bag that she accepted once her heart got back under control. "'Thank you.' She slipped the strap across her chest. Now, what were you saying? A tour, Granger. His eyes slid toward the entrance, then back. I have access by birthright. 
"'Yes!' Hermione cringed, flushing both from the opportunity to explore a new library and embarrassment for her involuntary reaction. "'Um, that is, of course, if you don't mind. But it's fine if you—' "'I don't mind.' Malfoy stepped past her and continued towards the entrance. She tried to follow, but there was a crawling sensation that grew more uncomfortable by the second. It felt like a warning. A rejection. Like she didn't belong and she needed to leave. Right now.' A deterrent ward, Hermione quickly realized, but it was hard not to heed the warning. Malfoy looked to the spot where she should have been, then did a double-take over his shoulder before he swore under his breath and extracted his wand from his jacket pocket. He approached the doorway and tapped his wand against the frame, in a sequence that made the doorway glow with a warm light. All feelings of wrongness vanished into nothing. You can approach now. But he didn't move. He waited until she was at his side before doing anything. The wards don't affect me, so I often forget about them. I can imagine how loud Pansy swore when she interacted with them. Pansy's never been here. Malfoy's voice was low. I've never brought anyone here. And with nothing more than those incomprehensible words, he walked on. Malfoy blinked at his retreating form, questions tumbling over each in the race to exit her mouth. But she stayed silent, and the beauty of the library won out leaving her breathless as she looked around in awe at the stunning sight. It smelled like polished wood, purified air, and old books. It smelled like history, reminiscent of the library of Hogwarts. There was a sensation of home she hadn't felt since the last time Madame Pince had found her studying too late and nudged her off to bed. The library's walls were high, arched into a beautifully painted ceiling, and a grand staircase that led to the upper level called her attention. But the sight of the endless floor-to-ceiling bookshelves and tall ladders that would take her to the top stopped her in her tracks. Magic thrummed in the air as books floated from shelf to shelf until they found their way home from their journey. It was calming. Satisfying. "'Where do you want to start?' Hermione lowered her gaze to Malfoy, who remained at her side. "'I don't know,' she ventured into the grand room, eyes drinking in the sight. "'I think I could spend a month here and not see everything I want.' The wards will reactivate in an hour. Good to know. Where do you go when you visit? Very rarely spend my time here unless I have a need. Malfoy seemed very composed in the way that felt both similar and different from earlier. It was forced under fire before, but now it felt authentic. I have little time to indulge. I'm afraid I won't be of any help. An idea popped into her head. We can start in the restricted section. Figures. Hermione froze and swore she heard something that sounded like amusement, but when she whipped her head around, nothing but his expression suggested as much. She squinted, but he only ignored her and walked on. His instruction to follow him was clear in each deliberate step. It became clear that Malfoy purposely took the long way to their destination, leading her across the large open floor that just held tables and chairs capped with low, hovering lights. She followed him between bookcases, as he gave a low command not to touch anything over his shoulder the moment she got the urge. Oh. Okay. Hermione ruthlessly suppressed a flutter of nerves in her stomach as she clasped her hands together awkwardly. The reader in her struggle to withstand the temptation. The only reason for her success was due to the more pressing question. Why is the library empty? I made it so. He said it so flippantly, as if shutting down the library for a meeting was a simple task. Percy wanted discretion, and I have the means to make that happen. Hermione made a small noise. You have that sort of power over a library? Unimaginable, really. Money is a universal language. Malfoy's hands joined together behind his back as he walked on with purpose. 
This is but one in a group of wizarding libraries that my family has funded for generations. Their rare book acquisition efforts, restoration work, and translation undertakings have all been supported by the Malfoy Vault. For generations. Respectable. Impressive was more accurate, but she took that to herself. Is this how you found the books you're translating? Yes. I put inquiries out after learning of Percy Weasley's plans at the beginning of the year. It didn't take long to find what I was looking for. The restricted section was behind a glass wall similar to the room the meeting had been held in. The lights were dim until they entered the room, and only then did they brighten, but not by much. Still, the area was spacious, and more floor-to-ceiling bookcases lined the walls surrounding a table in the center with four chairs. It was cozy, clean. When she perused the first shelf by the door, Hermione found the books were old but well cared for. Respected. Malfoy remained by the door as she explored. A silent stillness fell between them, one that seemed to slow time itself, even though it didn't last. "'Why exactly did you volunteer to work with me?' Hermione halted while reaching for a book on ancient poisonings. "'Percy asked last week. He said you agreed to work with me. But if you don't want my help, it's fine.' The tip of his wand glowed for a moment before the lanterns in the room brightened. It made seeing everything considerably easier, including him. Hermione's eyes lingered, much like they had all week, but she looked away, patting down her hair. "'I'll schedule a time for us to work. What do you prefer?' I have no set time planned as of yet. I got the impression that Percy and his team would continue working on what you'd already given them, and I was going to work on what you're translating now. That would make the most sense. I was thinking I could do this when I'm available, perhaps some afternoons or evenings, but no weekends. I'm working on a couple of projects of my own, too. Very well. Malfoy cleared his throat and looked to a book at his height. You're welcome to use my office should you need the space. I'll adjust the wards for you. Hermione dropped the book and it moaned in pain, an old hideous sound that jarred them both. She grabbed it off the floor and placed it back on the shelf, apologizing to the book until it fell into blessed silence. That time she caught the hint of amusement in his eye before he turned his attention elsewhere. It was a reflex that made Hermione want to argue about continuing to use the space already given to her, but wisdom made her stop. The argument died as she began to understand the subtleties in his brevity. Malfoy was making an effort. And so could she. Okay, thank you. No arguments, at least not from her. After giving Hermione a stiff nod, he studied a shelf at eye level and shifted his weight in a way that seemed oddly deliberate. Maybe he was... How was Scorpius today? The question wasn't a surprise, merely evidence of the shift between them. Not that it mattered. It still caught Hermione unaware. Their Scorpius-inspired silent treaty had been in place for a week now, and the proof of that resolution sat in the Malfoy's living room. Its new home... Narcissa had deemed the plant an eyesore unlike any she'd ever seen, and maybe it was, but the cactus was the first thing Scorpius had greeted each morning, and his happiness brought life into the sterile room. In so many ways, the cactus was his. Truthfully, it always had been. Even before Hermione knew it herself, probably since she'd found it struggling to survive, Malfoy had placed it on the ornate end table by the window, and Hermione had looked on, quietly vowing to help Scorpius care for it, so that it could stand tall and thrive— they both would. He had a good day. When I left during the afternoon break, he was listening to Albus's note outside. Catherine took over the supervision while I attended a security protocol meeting at the hospital. I've discussed adding sign language to his curriculum with my mother. Hermione tried not to look surprised, but she couldn't help it. What did she say? Malfoy didn't answer, and that spoke volumes. Let me guess. 
She believes it'll give him an excuse not to speak. A terse nod was all she received. She tried not to feel frustrated, but it built up anyway. It's not an excuse for him, but I'm not going to dredge up that argument again either, especially not when Narcissa knows her way of handling his silence isn't working. It's likely why she gives me so much leeway, why she looks on and says nothing, but he needs more help than I'm qualified to give. I assure you it's an ongoing conversation. While ominous, it invited the idea and reoccurring understanding that there was more happening outside her purview. If there were discussions, there was clearly a difference in opinion regarding approach. She could accept that as long as a dialogue was taking place, it wasn't her place or her fight. But as someone who cared so much for Scorpius, it was a relief that such conversations were taking place at all. My mother doesn't have any qualms with you teaching him sign language, but officially adding the subject to his lesson insinuates there's a problem. There was a problem, but it didn't feel right to vehemently point that out, again. Not when the wall Scorpius had constructed around himself after his mother's death was slowly crumbling. Not when there were so many signs of life returning, and so much growth. He was being given choices and allowed to do things his own way. Yes, he would likely need a professional to help, but maybe she shouldn't push the issue so hard so quickly. Nor should she push his father. Not when the peace between them was so delicate. He's picking up sign language rapidly. He knows the alphabet, numbers, some general phrases, and his basic needs. We're working through emotions right now. Catherine says he's practicing during lessons and answering her questions using the signs that he does know. He told her that he was hungry just before lunch yesterday. Catherine did mention in her report that he was engaging more. I believe that has everything to do with the shifting dynamics since the inception of playtime. He's incredibly observant. He knows what to expect from every person and acts accordingly. Your mother, for example. He used to be stony and hyper-obedient around her. But that's been changing, I've noticed. He's been rebelling in very small ways. Famously about breakfast back at Solstice. He doesn't need her approval anymore. But she's not around as often at breakfast either. Or lunch. When I'm not around, that might be different. I don't know. But Hermione got the impression that Scorpius didn't need Narcissa's approval, and she couldn't help but wonder if her presence had a role to play in that growing divide between them. It seemed likely. After his mother's death and his father's distance, there had only been Narcissa as a stable presence. But not any more. She kept that to herself. "'And Catherine?' Malfoy asked. Hermione sighed and kept exploring, now on the second wall of books with her back to him. "'Catherine, well, I still haven't figured out that dynamic. She seems to genuinely care about him. Enough for her to learn sign language, too.' Scorpius reacts better when she isn't too excited, and she's learning that if she speaks to him calmly and clearly, he won't just stare back. Other than that, he's obedient like he is with most adults. And you? Hermione turned to find Malfoy standing directly behind her, close enough for her instincts to disagree between the act of stepping back or standing firm. The latter one. Hermione was aware of him and his proximity, overwhelmingly so. Not to mention the subtle scent. Something warm and earthy. It was so much different than the fragrance of old books and parchment that permeated the air. "'And you?' Malfoy's voice was even steadier than before. "'What?' "'What are your expectations of him?' "'Oh,' Hermione had forgotten his question. "'None. But if I did have any, I would expect for Scorpius to be his true, authentic self, to smile without thinking and laugh unrestrained.' Her voice was soft with sincerity, but strengthening with conviction." I want him to learn any and everything he wishes to. I want him to find his voice and use it as often as he likes. 
to openly express himself in whatever method he chooses. I want him to not worry, to not be afraid. Ultimately, I just want him to be happy. She looked down at her hands and then back at him. I want all of that and more for him, but I also understand that while we've made progress, there's still a long way to go. Malfoy didn't move when Hermione unconsciously shifted forward. You have your reservations. Of course you do. You don't trust easily. But I think I've shown you that you can trust me with him. She caught the mysterious shift in his eyes and proceeded with caution. I... I want to help you reach him, if you'll let me. There was calculation in his gray eyes. Do you think he's... ready? The unspoken, unfinished question hung between them. Hermione exhaled, feeling uncertain. I think... well, I think we'll have to try in order to figure that out. She only had clues. Malfoy had been present for breakfast, and Scorpius was back to watching him from around the corner, back to tracing the letters on the table because Malfoy had been writing the notes legibly. The signs of eagerness were there, but Scorpius's nerves kept him stagnant. Hermione wasn't opposed to trying, not pushing, but providing a safe space to plant the first seed. The rest would be up to him. July ninth, two 2011 there was no sun when Hermione opened her eyes, only overcast skies and the gray light of dawn breaking through the clouds. By the time she made tea and breakfast and sat in the conservatory, rain began falling. First it coated everything like a fine mist, then it grew heavier, harder, the sound of it hitting the glass more akin to pebbles than water, but the visual was calming, nice even. The streams of dancing droplets distorted her view through the window, inside and out. Nothing much to do in the greenhouse. Nothing to do outside. And when she approached her magic scheduler, Hermione realized something else was odd. Today was clear. No appointments, no meetings, no visits, no tasks she absolutely had to complete. She checked twice, then once more for good measure. Nothing. That was odd. The entire concept was alien. Hermione often had to schedule her free time, which reminded her that she hadn't done so in a while. Since April, to be precise. Maybe she would today. With a pep in her step, Hermione showered and dressed, then wandered into the brewing room with her damp curls pulled into a messy bun. She was refreshed and ready to take on the task of just brewing with Kingsley's words in the front of her mind. No plans, no books, just ingredients, patience, and time. She didn't think, just went with what was natural— what flowed, and worked from memory from a time when she'd learned both voraciously and fearlessly, unafraid of failure. She wanted to make something that wasn't needed for a task or a job, just for her. Draft of Peace Hermione carefully added each ingredient from memory. She'd read the recipe hundreds of times, taking the time to focus on the repetition of the act, allowing it to steady her. And, for once, just seeing the silvery vapor that signified success brought her the peace she sought. It was just afternoon when Hermione exited the room with fluffy hair and sweat on her brow, resolved to keep taking the time to find her love for a craft she dedicated an entire room to in her home. Determined to enjoy the rest of her day with doing whatever she wanted, Hermione put on her wellies, grabbed her umbrella and a bag, and apparated to London. Diagon Alley, to be specific— where the rain had settled and the vendors were returning to the pavement. Hermione indulged in a scoop of ice cream and lingered past the eyesore of the guarded apothecary, nodding at the oars on duty on her way to pick up her parchment order. She thought about visiting her parents, but decided against it. 
She left a note for her dad in the mailbox before going to see a film, indulging in curry for lunch, taking an impromptu walk around a very wet Hyde Park, and wandering around a bookstore. Though she found nothing for herself, she did eye a journal covered in leaves of different shapes and shades of greens and reds. While she was paying, she saw a small bamboo plant and grabbed that, too, for good luck. She had already left when she realized just who might need it, but she didn't return it. Pansy was waiting for Hermione when she returned home, dressed for an evening out and not accepting excuses to stay in. "'I don't want to be a third wheel. I do exist outside of Percy Weasley.' "'I know you do,' Hermione exhaled patiently. "'It's just that I already spent the day—' "'Put your new plant away and get dressed. We are going out!' Hermione expected to be dragged someplace she didn't want to go, but it turned out to be quite the opposite. Pansy had been planning, judging from the tickets she already provided. It was thoughtful in a way Pansy would hate to acknowledge, so Hermione let it go and kept the appreciation to herself. They had dinner on an upscale riverboat, and enjoyed wine while overlooking the Thames at the sunset bathed the sky in a crimson glow. They stayed out until darkness had settled over the sky, and clouds rolled in. Still, it was breathtaking— the river was dark save for the reflection of the city lights surrounding them. Live music played on the upper deck, melodious tunes that provided a certain ambiance that people milling around couldn't disrupt, though they tried. The men especially wanted to engage them in conversation, but Pansy never showed interest, and Hermione's face distinctly conveyed her own lack of it. A few attempts were made before they were left alone. The boat made its way down the Thames as they talked while splitting a bottle of wine. Work, life, little bits of group gossip either had missed during their busy lives. It wasn't until Hermione started feeling more and more relaxed from her indulgence that she understood the level at which she'd been set up. "'I saw your sad cactus at Draco's house when I went to have tea with Narcissa. Care to explain?' "'Easy enough. I gave it to Scorpius.' "'Really?' Pansy made a small humph noise. "'He's with Daphne this weekend.' "'Your point?' I thought that you'd given the plant to Draco, to be honest. Hermione lifted an eyebrow, not offering words, but allowing her to continue without much fuss. He was shifting it on the table. I think he was trying to optimize sunlight without putting it directly in the sun. Oh, Hermione snorted at the mental image, and she shook her head, allowing a small smile to spread. I told him it was fine where it was. Pansy recoiled. Wait, you mean to tell me that you discussed a cactus, but not that snog? "'Of course not. There was definitely a discussion.' She took a deep breath and drank more wine, needing it to tackle a subject that still needled the corners of her thoughts at the most inopportune times. It went poorly and dissolved into a fight, about credentials, Narcissa, Scorpius, and yes, the cactus. It was by and large not my best moment, to say the least. "'Why do you think it spiraled out of control?' Self-reflection was always a pain— and this was a thought that had been circling like a hungry shark for over a week now, more so given the tone of the conversations with Malfoy as of late. Hermione focused on the music playing and the sound of the boat cutting through the water. For one last time, she went back to the moment when everything went wrong. The words that were said in the precise moment Malfoy shut down. I didn't give him a chance to speak. Pansy whistled low. It's hard enough to get Draco to talk, so when he tries to and isn't allowed— what do you think you would have said? Another question that skimmed the surface. In hindsight, from the way it escalated, I could tell he wanted to say something, though I can't imagine what. I don't know. Draco is... Pansy shrugged. 
I have no idea what he's doing. But if he tries to talk, let him. You have a habit of speaking over people when they try to talk to you. And you're so in your own head that you believe you're three steps ahead of anyone, when sometimes you aren't even in the same race. She got the affronted look on Hermione's face and patted her shoulder twice. Truth hurts. Hermione considered kicking off her heels, but decided against it. The wine softened the blow to my pride. Thanks for considering that while planning to manipulate me into this conversation. I do my best. Pansy clinked their glasses together. There was a flush in her cheeks that Hermione knew matched her own. She could feel the heat rising despite the cool breeze and allowed herself to relax further. Her walls lowered for honesty with a friend. You're right, though. I was blindsided by what happened at your party. Then the conversation I wasn't ready for. I didn't handle things as well as I should have. Or, I believed I did that moment. I... Hermione pressed her hand against her forehead. A lot of reflection has gotten me to the point of admitting I was wrong. However, I'm not interested in rehashing the argument. I just want to move forward. We're working together on a few things, and I'd rather build on that foundation than dig another hole to ultimately fall into. That's reasonable. Pansy picked up the bottle that sat between them, refilling both of their glasses. Working together? Are you friends now? Right now, we're more like allies, with mutual interests. Hermione threw her a look. What about you and Percy? Pansy smirked. We're enjoying each other's company. Fancy speak for... Didn't you get your fill Friday before at girls' night? Not at all. Hermione nudged her in the shoulder. Despite their silent threats to get the details of her new relationship, the night had been tame. Padma was stressed about wedding planning, so calming her down was the primary focus, with only a few jokes thrown at Pansy. Ginny had made their drink so strong that Hermione had woken up the next morning on the sofa, with Pravati's elbow in her face. Everyone else was in a similar state. Except Cho, who had covered them all with blankets and left enough hangover potions for everyone laying out, before spending the night in the guest room. She had been far too chipper at breakfast, which made Pansy positively murderous. But seriously, Hermione scooted closer to her friend, you seem more relaxed. It's a good look. Pansy took a deep breath. Perhaps the atmosphere had helped calm them both. I've broken several of my rules for a damn Weasley, and I don't like it. She took several swallows of wine before allowing herself a moment to smile softly. But it's nice. The freedom. I've not had that before. No expectations. Just spending time together. Hermione knew her well enough to translate her subtext. I know you don't like to talk about it, but... No, and three years of therapy has allowed me to say that. No, my marriage wasn't anything like this. I was very much a body before. Not a person with a brain, wants, or needs. I wasn't allowed to be anything. Sometimes I have to remind myself that I am allowed to have... Pansy chugged her wine and looked off moodily. Never mind. Can I be honest with you? Hermione asked quietly. You're going to anyway. True, Hermione grinned when Pansy eyed her with feigned annoyance. I just think there's a chance that it's more serious with Percy than you think. Pansy gave her incredulous look and stood up in a move that jarred them both. Hermione thought they were having a heart-to-heart, but Pansy looked more irritated with each passing second. Um, I'm going to fetch us another bottle. But hear me out, Hermione. My denial is designed for my own peace of mind, and to allow myself a much-needed reprieve from the weight I carry. She ran a hand through her dark hair. Destructive? Yes. It is going to bite me in the arse? Probably. Am I ready for it, too? Absolutely not. But I don't want advice or opinions from someone who is just as willfully oblivious to their own denial. 
She picked up the empty bottle. Another red. Pansy left before Hermione could agree. July 11th, 2011. The rest of the weekend was a blur of activity that ultimately prepared Hermione for Monday. She greeted the day much earlier than usual, the sequence of events leading her to step out of the flu at the Malfoy's home and wander into, well, well, the sight of a wet Draco Malfoy in tight black swim shorts made Hermione stumble mid-step. The rubber sole of her shoe caught and squeaked loudly against the wood floor. If the noise hadn't alerted him to her presence, the muttered curses as she tried not to drop the bamboo plant definitely did. Her traitorous eyes wandered down his back. The kitchen island swerved as the visual barrier between you're early, you're wet. Malfoy stood to his full height, and all Hermione could do was watch as every muscle in his back moved with the gesture. He turned to face her, giving her a full view of, well, him. Bold and unapologetic, old scars on his chest and all. This was his home, and he was well within his rights to walk around in any state he chose. I'm just finishing my morning laps in the pool. You're an hour early. I brought a plant? Hermione nearly throttled herself for her own silly reaction to a body. Okay, fine. She wasn't blind. It was a rather attractive body. However, unlike Pravati and every other witch, she tried not to dwell on thoughts about his... qualities. His quick, intelligent mind, the unwavering dedication to his family she was still attempting to understand, the enigmatic aura around him, and the fact that he was very, very attractive man. It was distracting enough for her to have a stomp out of her own attraction to him a time or two, or, if she was honest, at least a dozen. She was still looking for that damn seed. But her saving grace had always been Malfoy's infuriating nature, which made it easy to ignore his height and broad shoulders. Even now she could look past the alluring way his blonde hair was currently slicked back. She would not allow her mind to succumb to the memories of his touch. How she felt when she was pressed against Hermione startled from her thought, looking away to reorient herself before she got sight of his tattoo. Though too far away to see the nuances clearly in the dim light, she did manage to catch the vivid colors of the dragon and its tucked wings. From the intense fire it was breathing that covered his shoulder, the body stretched the length of his upper arm and tapered around a coil at his wrist. She also knew that it consisted of far more than just a dragon. But then it began to fade before her eyes, dissipating behind the glamour he wordlessly cast. "'Are you just going to stand there?' Malfoy folded his arm across his bare chest, and Hermione did everything possible to keep her eyes trained to his face. "'No,' Hermione cleared her throat. "'Sorry for the intrusion. I was already awake and thought I would come early.' "'Do you sleep?' The question could have been perceived as a joke, except he looked completely serious as he waited for a response. "'You've clearly been awake for quite some time. Long enough for a swim, at least.' Malfoy didn't deny the accusation. "'Yes.' He stepped to the right, and that was when she noticed something else. A different, curious sight. He was steeping tea. For her, her internal voice, which sounded like a mix of Pansy and Daphne, reminded her. Malfoy followed her line of sight, then back. But Hermione was incapable of acting like it wasn't happening. Like none of this was happening. She placed her beaded bag on the island, set the bamboo plant on the counter, and hoisted herself onto the stool. What tea are you making today? It's for my mother, Malfoy deadpanned. Silver needle, if you must know. Definitely not one she'd brought. It was an expensive, delicate white tea rife with health benefits. 
How should I make hers? Steep it for three minutes, one teaspoon of sugar to sweeten. His directions, like him, left no room for any sort of give. My mother enjoys teas that are sweet, delicate, and not at all bitter. Malfoy glanced at her. You, on the other hand, don't mind a little bitterness. He wasn't wrong, but his statement made her curious. If I did want to try her tea, how would I take it? You wouldn't. Heavy gray eyes were still on her after that statement had been released into the space that separated them. Hermione geared up to argue a litany of points when Malfoy inclined his head. Excuse me. Then he turned to leave. If you would finish making... Of course. Zippy will be here to deliver it to her. Why didn't he... She didn't sleep well last night, nor did she like the tea he made this morning. I stepped in. Malfoy left without another word. And if Hermione appreciatively watched him walk away, noting his arse and strong thighs in his tight swimming bottoms, well, there was no one there to judge her for it. Hermione prepared the tea as instructed, and Zippy came to deliver it to Narcissa. She ended up with leftover tea, and that, combined with her stubborn streak, made Hermione eager to prove Malfoy wrong. After dressing the tea exactly as Narcissa's, she raised it to her lips in defiance and took a healthy sip, and then spat the tea out in the sink. It was terrible. As if it had personally offended her, Hermione dumped the rest and scowled until it was completely gone, washed away by running water. Then she got to work. Hermione used the silence to accomplish several agenda items. She made Narcissa a simple breakfast of eggs and toast with a smoothie, as per her request via Zippy, and sent it to her room under a stasis charm for when she was ready. Hermione then blended Scorpius a smoothie to go along with his portion of eggs and toast she'd made him, also under a charm for preservation. She pulled out the square constellation journal, the one she'd bought on a whim a few weeks before, and the plant-themed one that she'd picked up before placing both beneath the bamboo plant. Malfoy returned looking more like himself, black shirt buttoned to the throat and black trousers with a belt, no jacket. But it wasn't his appearance that made Hermione do a double-take. It was what he had brought with him. Five folders bulging with a mixture of paper and parchment, thick enough for him to carry with both hands. He laid the folders in front of her in a row before standing on the opposite side of the island from where she sat. That's all my research on my mother's condition. I've done my own research. I could probably write a book on it. No offense, but I meant what I said about you not being qualified. Malfoy folded his arms. When Hermione mimicked his stance, the corners of his mouth turned downward, as if readying for an argument she wasn't going to start. No, she wanted to listen to his point. She made a go-on gesture to that effect. I suppose I should alter my response and say that she needs a team. More than just you. All research supports that the most effective way to care for her isn't just through potions, but also through muggle medicines and therapies. I know this. He recoiled. Then why haven't you— Your mother asked me for time. The only way I can do that is if she follows a treatment plan that research is beginning to show is more effective. However, she refuses to let any sort of muggles take care of her in any capacity. It's a source of contentment and a gone-going argument I previously put on the back burner, while we dealt with growing pains. I'm ready to resume it now that your mother and I have sorted through most of our issues. Mostly. Oh? I've been doing what I can to circumvent this. I've been speaking with an American healer and his specialist, and have tailored my care to incorporate some of their practices and teachings. This isn't my specialty, and I'm not a palliative care healer, but I believe I've done the best I can within my circumstances. I've tried to convince her, but she won't listen to me. Perhaps she would listen to you. That might be a problem, given her beliefs in the superiority of wizarding medicine and potions. 
Malfoy's frown deepened. She doesn't believe that any muggle instrument could be more effective than magic, and she has a deep, lifelong distrust in muggles that can't be helped. There was a pause. Not for the reasons you're probably thinking. I'm not thinking about anything, Hermione confessed. In fact, I'm genuinely interested in learning more. At that, he seemed surprised. My mother believes that muggles have a very medieval way of thinking when it comes to anything they don't understand, especially magic. Medieval? In the sense of witch-burning? Malfoy just blinked like his statement had been too obvious for confirmation. Okay, that's entirely fair. I'm certain there were people in her family who burned. Quick nod from him confirmed this. History hasn't been kind to us, that much is true. But times are different now. With the Statue of Secrecy in place, the only muggles who know about us are either related or married to those with magic, or squibs, of course. It's safer than it's ever been. Is it? he asked slowly. I don't share my mother's views, but for the interest of understanding her thought process, I'll play devil's advocate, if you don't mind. Go on. We might have magic that can protect us, but we're outnumbered. Muggle weapons can cause more widespread devastation than anything magic is capable of. Malfoy rested his hands on the island. The act brought him closer and drew her attention to his face. Nuclear bombs, chemical explosives. We have nothing to protect ourselves from this sort of attack. Magic dissipates, but nuclear waste doesn't. We'll always be caught in the crossfire. Hermione's desire to interject made her sit up straighter, under the weight of his gaze, but she remained quiet, listening, waiting for him to finish. Muggles have an entire history of killing anything they perceive as a danger, exterminating anyone different, whether it be out of fear of the unknown or in the name of religion, an idea, a belief, a thought. Two wars show that wizards are just as guilty of being destructive. Hermione rolled up the sleeve of her cardigan. Our community is small, yes, so every death is more impactful, but wizards have the same lack of regard for human life as any muggle I've seen. Go on. Your argument draws the line between wizards and muggles as if we aren't all human, when that's exactly what we are. Every person is subject to that same fear of the unknown and animosity towards anything different. We're all capable of great cruelty, but also kindness and empathy. The goal of society and those who run it isn't to prey on fear, but rather mitigate the negative aspects of human nature by promoting the positive. When that happens, the divide between wizards and muggles isn't as large as you think. You sound like you're running for minister, he cocked an eyebrow. Future plans? No, I'm merely stating what I believe. Hermione opened the first folder, noting the mix of printer paper and parchment that was indicative of the depth and breadth of his own research. Their efforts hadn't been as different as she would have expected. I don't have any hope of convincing Narcissa, but your help would be appreciated. Her eyes flicked from words on a page to gray eyes that held an expression of someone who had been fighting an internal battle. That look vanished so quickly, however, that she doubted she'd seen anything at all. Malfoy was now steadier, albeit stiff, as he turned away from her and moved to boil water for his own tea. Your parents. Do they look at you strangely when you do magic? What an odd personal question. But also not. It was perplexing, to say the least. The mixed feelings made Hermione wish she had the distraction of tea. Not... Well, the answer had changed as a result of her memory charm. They didn't used to, she confessed, returning to the folder, flipping between pages and parchment. They used to be proud of her magic, interested in what she'd learned after being away all year at school. 
fascinated about her experience. Well, the parts that hadn't involved her nearly dying. Those bits she left out. Oh? After a deep breath, Hermione closed the first folder and slid it to the side, waiting until he filled the glass kettle with water before she spoke again. I modified their memories the summer before we went on the run, made them forget they ever had a daughter, and when everything was over, I went to find them. It took time, but I... I successfully reversed the charm. I did it to save their lives, but they don't trust you anymore. Not really, anyway. She watched his back as he stared at the kettle, waiting for it to reach a boiling point. Muggles fear everything they don't know, magic being one of them. My mother's cynicism of them is remnant of their distrust in her. But she should trust me. Trust that I know what I'm doing when I make these suggestions, and that I won't put her in a situation that will endanger her. I'm her healer. My decisions are made to benefit her, not harm her. There are very few people that my mother truly trusts, and most of them are dead. She trusts you. Malfoy paused as he pulled a fresh cup out of the cabinet, but smoothly recovered, placing it on the counter before retrieving the glass jar containing loose black tea from an adjacent cabinet. She doesn't have many options in that respect. I'm the closest living relative of hers that she speaks to. When they aren't arguing, the silence implied, which reminded Hermione of a topic she needed to approach, but she found herself waiting for the right moment. She took to watching his meticulous act of scooping the right amount of tea leaves into the teapot, pouring the water on top, checking the clock, then waiting after he summoned the sugar bowl. Perhaps, she started, which made him pause a second time, if you can't, maybe I can find someone who can. Malfoy slowly turned to face her. My aunt. Astute as always, he gave her a bored look. Then he went back to what he was doing, waiting, eyes on the clock. And Hermione went back to what she was doing, watching him. Seconds passed like that, each moment more intense than the last. I doubt you'll have much success there. My mother already tried. I heard, but your aunt doesn't know about the situation. Only that I'm her healer. My mother doesn't want her pity. It shouldn't matter that she's dying. If my aunt wanted to reconnect, she would have done so already. That's true, but every family is complicated and imperfect. Ironically, the ones closest to us can be the hardest to connect with. That sounds like personal experience speaking. Perhaps it is for me, and also for you. His eyes cut from hers to the teapot, but Hermione wasn't done. She got off the stool and walked around the island, noting each measured breath he took. He seemed aggravated by her mere presence, or their conversation, or both. We're not so different in that respect. None of us are. We're all seeking familial connection, but it's not easy to connect after years of distance. It's not always about want, it's about courage, will, strength, swallowing your pride and checking your ego at the door. Your mother has expectations when she should have none, and so do you, but I do too. My mother's reconnection with her sister doesn't concern me. But it does, and it should. You speak of nothing occurring around you without your knowledge. That logic, when applied fully, should extend to your family beyond your mother and son. I've never met her. Perhaps you should before you judge her for not attending tea with your mother. There's a lot of hurt there that you don't understand. Malfoy said nothing. I'm going to talk to her at some point this week. You should join me. Meet her. His eyes narrowed. I'll ask first, of course. And if she agrees, I'll add it to your magi scheduler. 
and it'll be up to you if you choose to attend. Malfoy thought on it for a moment. Why are you so invested? Hermione shrugged. I'm no bleeding heart, but your mother asked for my help, and I agreed. Besides, I understand where she is. I've been there myself. She lifted her eyes to his. I understand where you are, too. He returned to his task. Still locked in, Hermione found herself incapable of doing much else except studying him like she should have been studying the research on the island. His side profile, much like him, gave little away. Still, she paid attention to everything from his eyes, to his straight nose, the sharp edge of his jaw, and the downward curl at the corner of his lips. Malfoy was clean-shaven today, another preference of which she hadn't been able to pin down, having seen him in various phases for the last few months now. Quietly, Hermione thought, that while the stubble suited him, he looked better like this, younger, smoother, softer to the touch, but still dangerous, like a knife sheathed in velvet. "'Do you need something?' Malfoy asked tightly, eyes on the steeping tea. "'No, just watching. What are you making?' "'Jasmine with a green tea base. It's yours.' "'Never had it. How are you going to make it?' "'Honey first, then a splash of milk.' She dropped her eyes to where his hands were displayed on the countertop, his signet ring glinting in the soft light. "'You know how everyone takes their tea, and I barely know how you take yours.' You drink the tea I made, and not once told me that you didn't prefer it. Does it matter? He tapped one finger several times, watching the teapot, as if the act of steeping tea wasn't beyond his control. Should I ever make you tea, it would. That earned her a sidelong glance over the rim of his glasses, a move that made his hair tussle a little, no longer perfect or severe. Now why would you do that? His question was low, wary, and challenging. If nothing else— his hands returned to his side as he assessed her further. Perhaps for the same reason you make me tea. I sincerely doubt that. Conversation concluded when he handed Hermione her cup of tea, then ignored her in favor of starting his own. The silence continued to stretch throughout the entire steeping process. Black tea, two teaspoons of sugar, no milk. He picked up his teacup and walked away without saying another word. Rounding the island, he took the seat next to her abandoned one and eyed the bamboo in the journals. He seemed to notice the plant for the first time and did a double-take. The bamboo plant? It's for you. For luck. You can put it wherever you like, or not. I can— I'll find a place for it. Malfoy brought the teacup to his lips. Are you going to look at that research? There's a possibility it might overlap mine. She stacked the five folders. But I will take a look for any gaps. Okay. He eyed the pile of folders. While we sort through my mother's refusal to use muggle methods, we should discuss the matter of her potions. It's what Healer Smith gives his patients. Ever thought to look outside the box? Well, no. This works. When she takes them correctly. That may be true, but realistically, nine potions doesn't work. They have to be taken at the right window of time every day, or they're ineffective, yes, which is why I monitor her. But even you can't deny she's been doing better. The potential for something more effective is out there if you look hard enough. Or experiment. He sipped his tea. But that's not something you do. Not an insult, simply a fact. I'm a healer, not a potions master. I'm not qualified to do any of that. I consulted with one regarding the potions I do make for her now. Her blend is tailored to her metabolically. What could be better than that? Malfoy placed his cup on the granite, opened the folder on the top of the stack, and tapped it for her to review— an entirely new potion. Somewhat. 
Hermione studied the handwritten parchment, turning her head to the side slightly as if it would help her read the bits that were indistinguishable. It didn't, but she quickly got the gist. It's a combination of all three potions. Precisely. Everything combined into one. They could interact with each other and— Astute, Granger, which is why I'm trying to find the right binding agent. The question on her face must have been apparent, because he grimaced. Before you ask, I've had it reviewed by several potions masters, and it's not impossible when done correctly. That wasn't what I was going to ask. What, then? She continued flipping through each dated parchment. The notes were more and more extensive as they went back in time, as were the edits. How long have you been working on this? She looked at him directly. Quite some time for the look of it. Since she was diagnosed officially in October. The expression on his face spoke of apathy, but his words were another example of the dichotomy of his character. In October, he'd had a dying wife, a son, and a job that wasn't so much a career choice as it had been a necessity. Hermione was tired just thinking about all the battles he must have been facing. All this time, you've... Yes. He placed his cup on the granite. We might not agree on much of anything right now, but she's still my mother. Scorpius isn't ready to lose another relative so soon. And neither are you. Malfoy didn't confirm nor deny her statement. He returned to his fortress with the cracked walls he hadn't bothered to patch up. Why are you like this with her? I'm not asking to be intrusive. You don't even have to tell me. But I genuinely am curious. It's obvious you care. The level of detail you've put into your research and this potion is... Hermione shook her head. Your mother is convinced of your indifference. Why not just bury it and forgive her, and value the time you have left? It won't last forever. You'll regret leaving anything unsaid. He looked over his shoulder at the cactus across the room. I have enough regrets. What's one more? Another thing that stops forward progress. Your other regrets I can't speak on, but this one. She caught him looking at her, jaw tight. You'll never become who you're meant to be with all of those things holding you back. Malfoy turned to her, leaning in ever so slightly. And who am I meant to be? Whoever you choose to be. A beat paused. Hermione returned to reading the document, now with a different type of focus, a renewed one. Time passed like that, with Hermione reading through everything he had presented about the potion, and Malfoy doing whatever it was he was doing. Finishing his tea... The few times she had glanced at him, he seemed contemplative. She left him to his thoughts until she absolutely needed to ask a question. Have you tried? I don't have the setup in this house to brew. We could use my brewing room, but some of these binding agent options I've never heard of. Silphium, while medicinal, is extinct as far as I know. It'll be impossible. It's not. Impossible, that is, Malfoy interjected. If there's a way, and I guarantee it will work just as effectively, if not better, than her current potions, would you consider it? Hermione contemplated his proposal. It would take an entire brewing cycle to determine if it would work. And if it doesn't, we will have lost a month. It'll be a risk. You don't strike me as the sort that takes them. Malfoy cut her a look. Touché. We can continue on with this care plan I've developed inspired by those who know that they're doing. Or we create a new one. We? Hermione blinked. I thought she didn't want to be involved in her care. I thought handing over my research showed my change in position and opinion. Perhaps, but I don't understand your actions as they pertain to your character. It's not your job to understand me, 
I'm not a puzzle for you to piece together because you're bored. I'm far from bored, Malfoy. I just don't like it when things don't make sense. There's nothing to make sense of. I feel as though I've explained myself clearly, but for the sake of argument, why is it so important that I make sense? What are you looking for? I think we should get to know each other better simply because we'll be working together now on multiple levels, and in order to do that, we have to overcome our own defensiveness and egos. There must be a level of trust that I know you're not willing to give, but I'll ask for it anyway because I'm not going to put some trust in you against my better judgment. Try to do something against yours. Malfoy reached for the paper but stopped himself. Would you like a summary? Yes. After a sigh, he did just that for several minutes. It was obvious Malfoy really had done his research, if the folders alone hadn't already convinced her. He spoke much like he had in her conservatory, with confidence and stern ease, which made little sense together but perfectly captured his inconsistencies. Hermione interrupted him once and apologized before doing so. How can you be so sure about your ability to bind the three potions together when each of your options has either incredibly unstable, unavailable, or extinct? The first two would involve testing. As for the last, not everything you read is accurate. It may be extinct to muggles, but it exists somewhere I can access. It was a risk she would be taking, one that hadn't been tested, but perhaps one that needed to be taken so that another risk could be taken with it. I'm listening. The manor has a greenhouse stocked with rare, extinct plants my family has hidden away for generations, protected by charms and blood magic, of course. At least two options for binding ingredients are in there, along with other potentials. We would not only need to test each option, but also determine how to best prepare it. That's a massive experiment, Malfoy. I'm aware, but it would be worth it. And honestly, that was enough for Hermione. The details they could work through, and she was willing to dedicate all the time needed to the experiments and tests. This was her job, her focus, and her purpose. Commit to talking to your mother about optimizing her care, and I'll commit to this idea. After I do more research, Malfoy frowned. I'm willing to take the risk, but you need to take one as well. Talk to her. Fix whatever it is wrong between you two. The success of this potion won't change the fact that this isn't a cure. It's just something to help optimize her care. I'm doing everything I can to give you both time. Just use it wisely. Malfoy looked off towards the far wall. It's more complicated than that. Of that much, I'm positive. But you've created an entire potion for her. Actions speak louder than words, sure, but words can't hurt. I'll consider it. That would have to do. The aura around him was thick with finality and silence fell between them. Hermione continued poring over his notes and directions about making the combination potion. It would be a two-person job, certainly, and a complicated one that would span over hours, but one that would produce enough vials to only have to brew it once a month. If it worked. If they could brew it successfully. It was... Malfoy cleared his throat, looking at his watch before tapping his hand on the granite again. What time does he generally come down? Hermione, who had been doing all sorts of mental calculations, stopped from sheer shock. Her mind scrambled in all directions before she grasped for an answer in the form of the clock on the wall behind her. I... soon? Roughly five minutes, if they're on schedule. At his look of bewilderment, Hermione shrugged. His schedule doesn't allow for much give. It's better as of late, but still strict. Okay. There was an expression she hadn't seen from him outside of accidental observation. Uncertainty. 
Her hand fell on his the instant it dawned on her that Malfoy was nervous. A knee-jerk reaction that made him look at her as he curled his hand into a fist beneath hers. He could have been nervous all morning. The conversation, the early morning swim, his weekend interaction with the cactus. He could have pulled his hand away, too. But he only looked down and used his free hand to pick up his pen and start on the crossword. Your hand is cold. Sorry. Hermione took her hand back and awkwardly looked over her shoulder at the cactus, now bathing in the morning light. I think Scorpius mostly knows your schedule. He'll come down just before seven. That's when you leave. I have time. Malfoy tapped the granite before rubbing his newly free hand, where she had touched, as if it were sore. Perhaps you weren't entirely wrong about— They both heard a noise coming from the wrong direction, at the wrong time. Malfoy's head turned towards the sound just in time for Scorpius to walk in. He noticed Hermione first, and his small smile began to grow, until he saw his father and stuttered to a halt. She could almost feel Malfoy's tension as it grew, but she was hyper-focused on Scorpius. In truth, Hermione was surprised he didn't jolt, though it was a close call. His eyes went back and forth between her and Malfoy, confusion and nerves written plainly on his face. Then he took a cautious step back, then another, and another until he clipped the wall. Hermione winced. They looked painful. A quiet inhale that only she could hear gave Malfoy away. His reaction resonated loudly in her ears. It made her throat tighten until she had no choice but to clear it. Scorpius just blushed and signed sorry twice before he fled the room on wobbly legs. "'Don't leave,' she told Malfoy without a backwards glance as she left the room. Hermione followed him down the hall and then up the stairs, down a different hall she hadn't seen before that led to a second set of stairs, the only one that led back to the living room. Ah, this morning's routine he'd strayed from, probably by accident. Hermione called his name softly, just enough to get his attention.' He looked right at her, and she barely had time to take a knee before he walked into her embrace. She kept her words of comfort soft, slowly patting down his hair. His breathing was ragged at first, but it soon calmed, steadied, and then he relaxed. Hermione held on until he was ready to let go. With much difficulty, he signed one word. Father. He surprised you? Scorpius nodded. I'm so sorry about that. Hermione held both of his hands. He doesn't want to scare you. He just wants to have breakfast with you, but only if it's okay with you. Blue eyes went wide. He pointed at himself. Me? Yes, you. She tapped his nose, which made him smile just a little. But if you're not ready, he can go. The vehemence with which he shook his head made his point loud and clear. Despite his nerves, he was choosing bravery. It quietly elated Hermione. There was still so much worry swirling around him. But she caught his eyes every time they strayed, and gently squeezed his hands when she felt like she was drifting into his own thoughts. Scorpius took several minutes to compose himself, which reminded her of the day at the window. But he was a different child now. Today, unlike then, he looked her in the eyes. He pulled up his sock while Hermione fixed his blazer and tussled his hair. "'You bumped into the wall back there. Are you okay?' He blushed and cringed. "'Mistake,' he signed. She understood why he'd fled." "'Oh, no, that was an accident, and that's okay. They happen sometimes. Your dad was concerned that you'd hurt yourself. He'll be glad to know you're okay.' Scorpius looked down at his feet. "'Are you nervous?' "'Yes.' "'Can I tell you a secret?' Scorpius agreed, his cheeks still flushed. "'Your dad's just as nervous as you.' Hermione almost laughed at his expression. It was so eerily like Malfoy that it almost made her laugh through the tension. 
It doesn't look like it. I know, but he is. If you want to eat breakfast with him, take your time. I'll be there. Remember, you can hold my hand if you need to. That won't change. Hermione opened her hand and smiled when he took it. Once he was ready, they came down the stairs, determined to keep things as normal as possible. Scorpius greeted the cactus while she glanced in the direction of the kitchen for the first time. Malfoy was still there, waiting. The knot in her stomach loosened when they locked eyes, and she gave him a tiny nod. Hermione glanced down at Scorpius, only to find him leaning a little to his left around her, to peek at his father. Then a little more. And just when Hermione thought he was going to tip over, he straightened. She led the way, but when they got close to the table, Scorpius surprised her by letting go of her hand and walking on his own. He approached his seat where his food waited for him like always, but he didn't sit, his squinty blue eyes scanning for something, and a small frown tugged at his lips. Scorpius dipped beneath the table. She and Malfoy exchanged glances, but she shrugged in response to a silent question. What was he looking for? Persistent as always, Scorpius walked the length of the table, then back, face scrunching more and more in adorable confusion. And it wasn't until Malfoy got up and approached him that she realized what he was missing. Scorpius blinked up at his father, who barely hid his nerves under a mask. Nerves she saw clearly because she'd seen them before. Malfoy offered his son what he had been looking for. His letter. Breakfast for Scorpius consisted of 90% staring at Malfoy and roughly 10% eating. All in all, he was doing well. Better than expected, honestly. But Hermione found herself wincing at how intensely Scorpius watched his father, almost as if he were afraid he would vanish if he so much as blinked. He hadn't done much of that, either. Nor had he touched the one thing he always ate first, his toast. Not even when she smeared the jam he liked on it. His mouth frequently missed the metal straw of his smoothie, just like the bits of eggs that didn't make the connection between his fork and mouth, ending up somewhere on his napkin tucked into his shirt, or his plate while he bit down on the fork instead. The third time it happened, Hermione's wince became external, the sound akin to a baby mandrake shriek. Malfoy wasn't much better. He observed Scorpius like he didn't know what to say to kill the silence. Once he looked at her for help, which reminded her of the first time Harry had held James. He had been every bit a man woefully out of his depth, and now it was Malfoy's turn. Hermione didn't attempt to start a conversation, but she took pity on them both and made Malfoy a matching breakfast plate, only because Scorpius tensed whenever he so much as moved. It was hard to tell if he was excited, confused, or anxious about Malfoy's presence. All in all, Scorpius kept blinking like a baby animal trying to focus on some big new world. It looked like it took a real effort. Hermione did intervene, before he poked himself in the eye, or the nose, with the straw of his smoothie, though, redirecting it to his mouth. Malfoy's eyes fell on her briefly before returning to his son. Had Narcissa been there, she would have told Scorpius not to stare, but Hermione wouldn't speak a word of discouragement. Obviously, they both needed it. A quick glance at the clock told her that Catherine would be there to collect him soon, but he hadn't really eaten much, or much of anything, which meant he would be grouchy in an hour or so by lunch. Hermione eyed his father for help, but it took him a full minute to feel her staring. Dramatically, so he would clearly understand her statement, she cut her eyes from the plate to his son before he nodded, seeming to understand. Why isn't there any meat on his plate? Or not. Scorpius just blinked, again. Pinching the bridge of her nose, Hermione took a patient breath. He doesn't eat it. It's a theory I've tested over the last month or so. Maybe he'll grow out of it, but right now, if it's on his plate, he's going to eat around it. I just gave him a choice. And my mother has nothing to say about this? 
Hermione chuckled to herself. I think she rather likes the fact that she is no longer losing staring contests to someone who can't even see over the counter. Malfoy had no response other than a look of bemusement, but Scorpius shifted in his seat and Hermione blinked at the older Malfoy, but had clearly missed the point. His lessons start soon and he should eat, isn't that right? Uh, yes. The statement sounded more like a question. Hermione took the matter into her own hands, sliding her seat closer in a move that made Scorpius glance at her for the very first time. "'He's not going anywhere,' she told him in a private tone. "'Eat.' Scorpius looked to Malfoy for confirmation, and he finally got on the same page. "'I'll be here.' And only then did he start eating in earnest, looking down to fork his eggs and only staring at his father while chewing. It took a few more pointed looks for Malfoy to begin eating as well. Things settled in a strange place between normal and bizarre. Scorpius began his typical breakfast routine of staring at his note between bites, only now he kept glancing from the letter to his father, squinting. Catherine appeared to retrieve Scorpius, but when she found him still eating with his father present, she sat down next to Malfoy instead. "'He'll need a few more minutes,' Hermione said in lieu of a greeting. "'That's fine,' Catherine looked at the obvious elephant in the room, a slight blush staining her cheeks. "'Morning, Mr. Malfoy,' he inclined his head politely. "'Morning, Catherine.' Then he went back to watching Scorpius finish his eggs. "'What's on his lesson plan for the day?' "'Maths and writing before his break and lunch, then etiquette and history before his afternoon break. We're ending the day with art.' Hermione would have frowned at the subjects being taught to a child who was just learning how to read, but honestly it was a vast improvement. Scorpius's eyes traveled between three separate points—his plate, his note, and his father, in a complex routine that didn't have a set order. Catherine's eyes were also on the move, but mainly between Malfoy and her own hands. Her face reddened deeper in his presence. Hermione frowned at her, but Malfoy seemed unaware. When he finished, Scorpius used the napkin to wipe his hands, pocketed his note, and got down. He went for his empty plate, to help, but she shook her head. He was running late, after all. For a moment, she thought he was going to lean against her before leaving with Catherine, a comfortable routine they'd established, but that didn't happen either. Instead, he bravely approached his father's side, standing before him, just like he did to Narcissa, waiting for direction. Approval. I... The words died in Malfoy's throat. He turned in his seat, knees facing his son, as he absently removed the frames from his face and placed them on the table. He returned his attention to Scorpius, who stared back with a glimmer of wary hope in his eyes. Hermione held her breath, looking on, all while hoping neither of their feelings would get accidentally crushed. Whatever he was trying to do, Malfoy hesitated twice before committing to his next action. He lifted a finger to his chin and lowered it, speaking the word he was trying to sign. Tomorrow? It wasn't perfect, his moves as stilted and hesitant as the boy he had spent months studying in order to interpret. Nevertheless, Scorpius's eyes went wide with understanding, his face slack in awe, as was hers. Malfoy was making his move, bold and sure, but Scorpius's lack of response made him second-guess himself. But instead of giving up and letting the moment pass, Malfoy glanced over at her once and then reached. He shifted in his chair and focused on his son, wetting his bottom lip in unconscious determination before trying one more time. Love was about patience and devotion, trust and perseverance. It never failed or faltered, nor was it prideful. Love was so many tangible things, and right then, it was a man who only knew how to keep quietly pushing and asking questions, learning and fighting for the opportunity to reach for his son. 
as long as it took, as many sacrifices as he had to make, step by step. May I join you, for... Scorpius never let him finish. He didn't let go of Hermione's cardigan, not even when he made a small fist and shyly bobbed it in response. Yes. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. Martin Luther King, Jr. Chapter 21 Bridge Over Troubled Water July 19, 2011 Teddy Lupin's hair oscillated between black and gray in a confusing display of monochrome colors that reminded Hermione of charcoal being washed away by the rain. It wasn't the only sign of his thinly veiled distress. The other was far more visible. His eyes. Overflowing with apprehension, they went from her old third-year potions book to the bubbling cauldron, back to the book, then landed on her. Teddy was nearly her height. When had that happened? And it gave her the perfect view of his cheeks— which were so red they reminded her of Ron whenever the cannons were losing, and he was pretending not to care when he very much did. How's it going? Good. Hermione didn't believe him for one second, but offered an encouraging smile nonetheless, hoping it might sufficiently settle his nerves. Today's session had been Teddy's idea. As soon as he and Andromeda arrived by flu, he'd all but dragged Hermione into the brewing room to practice making a potion he was expected to brew at some point next term— driven by the desire to become better at a subject he had just made an acceptable in. Barely. Teddy wanted to improve his marks. He wanted to be an oar, after all. Like his mother. While Hermione could have tutored him in any other subject with success, potions required more than materials, cauldrons, and magic. There was a need for knowledge of the subject itself, herbology, and care for magical creatures. But, more importantly, it required a willingness to experiment that Hermione had yet to perfect. She was still working on it. Her second attempt last weekend had produced a vial of calming draft made from nothing more than memory. She could point him to the book, instruct him to follow the instructions provided, but Teddy needed more to help him improve. He needed interest outside of necessity. At thirteen, Teddy was the type of learner that, if not completely fascinated, could be shown something a thousand times and still not understand. Unfortunately, he had zero interest in the subject beyond the fact that he had to score decently on his OWLs and NEWTs to get into the Auror Academy. So what does it say to do next? Hermione gave him a little patient prodding. Teddy's hair went snow-white before darkening to gray as he went back to the book that detailed how to make shrinking solution. After clearing his throat nervously, he read the passage aloud. Uh, chop four daisy roots finely and add. He looked up. But we chopped before we started. Yes, we did, just for this reason. Preparation is key to making potions. Hermione handed over the bowl, and when Teddy pinched too much for the proper sprinkle, she offered some gentle direction. Remember, a light touch. Okay. He did just that, sprinkling it until the potion turned the correct color. He looked elated by his success, shakily confident even. I think I can do this. Yes, you can. She let him work, not going too far, but stepping into her room where her drying herbs were hanging from the ceiling in muslin bags. She picked up her task from earlier, and when she finished, Hermione peeked her head out, catching sight of the teenager studying the book intensely with squinty eyes and pursed lips. How's it going? It doesn't say how to add the least juice, slowly or all at once. But Teddy made a decision before Hermione could offer input. He chose what any kid at his age would have done— he dumped it into the cauldron all at once. 
the signs of failure were immediate. First, it popped. Then Teddy's hair turned the exact same shade of blue as the thick smoke that rose from the cauldron. After a yelp that showcased his changing voice, he stepped back and nearly collided with Tank, exhibiting the clumsiness he'd so clearly inherited. Before he could panic and the smoke fumes had a chance to overtake the room, the magical safeguard she'd installed in the room kicked in. Activating between one breath and the next, they vanished the cloud. Hermione approached the now sullen teenager, peering at the sludge in the cauldron and vanishing it before placing an empathetic hand on his shoulder. That was better. At his disbelieving look, she ruffled his hair. No dumping. That can destabilize the potion. Teddy's hair turned as pink as his cheeks. I didn't think about that. It's okay, you're still learning. Yeah. He ran a hand through his now burgundy hair, looking as close to tears as she had ever seen him. It's fine. The two words weren't encouraging. Teddy was pleasant, level-headed, and not prone to extremes. Clumsy, but able to laugh at himself. Her favorite things about him were his love of nature, and his tendency to never take anything to heart. Seeing him visibly upset made Hermione adjust her approach, drawing him into a rare hug. Having been so heavily involved in raising him, comfort was more Harry's thing. He always knew what to say to Teddy, but he wasn't there. Andromeda was in the greenhouse clearing her mind before meeting Malfoy, and Teddy needed the support now. He held on like it was required of him. What's wrong? Teddy made a small, embarrassed noise before withdrawing and turning his back to her. It's nothing. Can I go now? If you want. Hermione led the way out, making a mental note to scrub the cauldron later. Cleaning it would definitely take more than a scourgify. Instead of walking towards the conservatory, Teddy went out the front door. Following silently, patiently, Hermione knew better than to push. Eventually, he would talk. He always did, even if it wasn't to her. He had a different person to go to based on any particular need. Her role had always been educational, but she was ready to fill in as needed. Only if he asked, though. It was pleasant outside for such an overcast and breezy day. The sun was hidden behind thick white clouds, but still visible without hurting her eyes. Summer had a firm hold on the land surrounding her home. The grass was lush green, spread in all directions, and only interrupted by sparse trees that hadn't quite taken root with the others in the forest. Teddy walked the short distance to the stream in front of her cottage, and Hermione waited at the door to give him space, not knowing if it was needed or wanted. Sometimes solitude was a comfortable moment of reflection. Other times it could be distressing, but she waited for Teddy to make the decision of whether she should approach or stay where she was. His invitation was extended with a simple glance. The silence didn't retreat upon her arrival. It stayed expanding to develop into something that gave her a moment to marvel at the richness of color and life around them. Irreplaceable peace could be found in little snatches of time and space such as these. Fresh air did wonders to clear the mind and revive the spirit, and Hermione looked on as Teddy took his first deep breath, hoping he would find the rejuvenation he needed after failing to make the potion. The usual sounds of nature drifted to her ears, mixing with the stream's lazy placidity, and lulling her into a state of stillness that she hadn't experienced all day. The sight beyond her wards was mostly grassy pasture, with a scattering of large trees and strips of wood in the outer edge of her sight. Her closest neighbor was a muggle farmer. She let his cattle and sheep graze on her lands each summer to keep down the grass, but that wouldn't happen until later, when pastures closer to her house were eaten down. Teddy towed off his shoes and pulled off his socks before sitting by the edge of the stream and allowing his feet to sink beneath the surface. 
based on its lack of reaction or shock from being cold, the water was comfortable enough. Hermione didn't test it for herself, but she sat next to him and simply existed. Minutes rolled by before Teddy released a weighty sigh. "'Be honest with me, Miss Hermione.' A thousand times she told him not to call her Miss, but still he persisted. Andromeda had been a stickler about respect. "'I always will be.' Teddy stared as if he were able to pick up hints of placation. "'I'm never going to become an Auror, am I?' This was a defining moment. Hermione knew she had to be careful because her words would matter. They could either build or destroy. Words were powerful like that. And she led with her affection for a boy she had known all his life. "'It's not about what I think, Teddy. What do you believe?' "'I believe—' He drew out the word like the sulky teenager he was. "'I'm clumsy and terrible at potions, and I—I'll never be an Auror.' "'Hmm,' Hermione considered her next statement— her goal was to help, not hinder. Man is the measure of all things. Do you know what that means? I'm not a man. I'm thirteen. No, then. She cracked a smile. It's not the complete quote, and can mean so many different things to different people. For me, it's what comes to mind when you say things like that about yourself. Teddy looked supremely confused. You decide who you are, who you will become, and what's true for you. If you decide you'll never become an Auror because of those reasons, then you won't. And, in the same breath, if you say that you will become an Auror despite those things, then you will. Does that make sense? Sort of. He looked pained. But just thinking won't make me an Auror. Of course not. But a positive mindset helps. Other things you need to include are hard work, determination, and persistence. I know you can do it. And everyone else does, too. We believe in you. We always will. But you have to believe in yourself. How can I? I got an A in potions last term. You made polyjuice in second year. Victoire got an E in potions first year. And I still can't get anything right. You can't compare yourself to everyone else. Hermione rested a hand on his shoulder. You're not them. You're you. And that's amazing. You don't want to be like everyone else, do you? Yes. His admission was quiet, sullen, as he looked down at the clear water and wiggled his toes. That's boring. She leaned a little and bumped her shoulder against his until Teddy gave her a ruffled look that made her smile widen. Can I fly like you? Hermione still had zero inclination towards flying, and Teddy knew it, giving her a little chuffed laugh before shaking his head. Is Victoire's good at transfiguration and charms as you? Again, he shook his head, but seemed to have a growing understanding of what she was saying. You're unique, Teddy. Even without your ever-changing hair and facial features, there'll never be another you. Hermione ruffled his hair until he complained while leaning away to fix it. His mood settled his hair into a shade of turquoise, as her smile softened into something smaller and more genuine. You'll make them proud, I'm certain. Teddy turned to her, eyes brimming with respect and tinged with hope. His hair faded to the same brown as his father's. Hermione's heart felt heavy with memories. Teddy didn't say anything. He just rested his head on her shoulder, as they both looked off into the distance. Miss Hermione? Hmm? How long till Harry gets here? The question dissipated the cloud of heaviness that had settled over them. He sounded oddly nervous, as well as a little too informed. Hermione squinted at him, but Teddy pretended to be more interested in the clouds, whistling a tune she didn't recognize. As far as she knew, neither Andromeda nor Teddy had told him about today. 
They wanted to see how it went before even approaching the idea of bringing him into the room. It wasn't a hardship. Teddy tended to keep to the guest room with magazines or the telly whenever he came over. How do you know what's happening today? I overheard. Teddy's hair tinged purple with pride. She gave him a knowing look. Snooped? Yes. His cheeks burned red and his hair lightened to something more lilac. Was practicing stealth. Looks like you'll be an aura in no time. Hermione laughed when his smile brightened back to his normal level of happiness. What did you find out? That I've got a cousin I've never met. The shift in his demeanor made it obvious he had no idea how to feel about that news. He shrugged awkwardly. My grandmother never talked about them before. You do? Hermione didn't know how much to divulge, what he could take, or what he was ready for. But the way he perked with interest meant he was ready to know something. Actually, you have two cousins. Two? Teddy's eyes widened, jaw slackening with shock. Let's see, she tapped her chin. Draco would be your first cousin, once removed, which is just a fancy way of saying you're the son of his first cousin, which would be your mother. Teddy nodded his head, but still seemed lost, which was fair. And Scorpius would be your second cousin. Who's Scorpius? Draco's son. He's five. That grabbed Teddy's interest. Has he met Al? He knew, just like everyone else, of Albus's issues with shyness and connecting with children his own age. He perked up at the prospect of a new friend in a sweet gesture that softened Hermione. He had grown into such an amazing kid. Well, now an amazing teenager. The thought was a little scary and also mind-blowing, a reflection of how quickly time had passed. Yes, and they've become good friends. They draw each other pictures. Al sends him voice notes, and Scorpius sends him pictures of his cactus. It was still so heartwarming to witness their bond grow despite of their physical distance. All she could do was foster it with the hope that their friendship would blossom more when Albus returned. She couldn't wait for their reunion. At the conclusion of the drawing each session, each end of Al's letters, and every flu call when he asked about Scorpius, she could tell that they couldn't wait to be reunited either. The good news was that Harry and Ginny had narrowed it down, and were close to choosing a new home. So maybe it would be sooner than planned. "'What's he like?' Teddy was quiet for a moment. "'I—Scorpius?' "'Him too, I guess.' Teddy shrugged and moved his feet under the gentle current. Ah, so both. Scorpius reminds me of Al, so be kind. He's not used to being around other kids and may get a bit lost or overwhelmed. He doesn't talk. At Teddy's confused expression, Hermione looked out at the pasture, exhaling in the breeze. His mother was sick for a long time. Last November, she... Teddy's hair turned black with understanding. Oh. He's lost someone, just like you. Even if you can't remember it, I know you miss them dearly. Teddy looked somber, and his head tilted to the side, landing on her shoulder again. Hermione wrapped an arm around him and held on. They stayed like that for quite some time. Do you think that's why he doesn't talk? Maybe, Hermione shrugged. But he has changed so much since I first met him. It was like night and day. Scorpius was growing rapidly, still unsure of himself, still fumbling, but he was becoming more comfortable with his father's presence, at the very least. Each breakfast with Malfoy in the last week had brought about something new in Scorpius. Bold staring had simmered into shy glances. Scorpius was beginning to get through meals without worrying that Malfoy would leave. This morning he'd even accepted the empty plate from his dad's hands to bring to Hermione for washing. Each meal started with a signed greeting and ended with Malfoy's single question— tomorrow. And Scorpius' unfailing response, yes. 
On Friday, after Scorpius left for classes, Hermione had fretted over what changes the weekend might bring to their tentative routine. But a late Saturday afternoon flu call from an amused pansy loosened that feeling of worry that had soured her heart. Apparently, she'd happened upon Malfoy eating cereal with Scorpius that morning when she turned up to take Narcissa out for a spa day. The mental image, along with Malfoy's commitment to hold on to the connection he'd tentatively made, still made her feel warm and light. "'What about my other cousin?' Teddy's hair brightened from blue to aquamarine. Malfoy. Once again, Hermione found herself choosing her words wisely, but this time they came easier. He is... A few months ago, Harry said he was raging. Whatever he was about to say died in the breeze with a snap of her fingers. Hermione knew exactly what Harry had said about Malfoy a few months ago. It wasn't pretty. Teddy grinned impishly, and she released the charm. You shouldn't repeat what Harry says. It's important to make decisions about a person for yourself, and not based on what someone else told you, or even how you remember them. They can surprise you. Harry knows this now, too, and so do I. That was the truth. Teddy nodded. If you want to know how he was at your age, well, he was a foul, pointy prat when I hit him third year. Still a highlight. Teddy laughed when she nudged him in the ribs. He knew about almost all of their adventures, time travel included. Ron loved telling him stories of their exploits when he was growing up. But Draco is older now. He can still be a prat, a very aggravating one, but also not. He's odd. Hermione lowered her voice as if telling him a secret. I can't quite figure him out. Teddy's eyes widened. But Harry says you know almost everything. Almost, she emphasized. Not everything. Not him. Not completely. To say she truly knew anything, there had to be a totality to her knowledge, or as much as she could expect within reason. It was hard to understand someone who had been so closed off, someone who seemed like a blur of contradictions. Malfoy's need for control clashed with his want to experiment. The distance he maintained from Scorpius contrasted the amount of time he spent learning everything he could about his son in order to take the first step. Confident, yet hesitant indifferent with others versus the quiet affection he carried for his mother. He kept his humanity in his pocket while brandishing his apathy like a weapon. And yet, that wasn't enough for Malfoy to fix things. There were more things that didn't quite fit with the persona he kept up, the one that appeared to be losing its steely shape as of late, or maybe that had always been a mirage, a trick played on her before her very eyes. There was the tea, which still remained the largest question. Maybe you're thinking too hard. Hermione had startled enough by Teddy's words to laugh. Oh, and is that your opinion, great wise one? Dunno, the teenager shrugged. Maybe you don't want to know him. Oh, she figured she could humor him. And why wouldn't I? Then you'll know him. Before Hermione could inquire exactly what he meant, she heard someone calling her. They both turned. Harry was waving her in. It was time. She looked at Teddy. You can come in and meet him if you want. Maybe later. I'll go feed and play with the chickens, and maybe... He smiled too brightly, hair turning a pleasant shade of gold, like a halo. Can I use my wand to water the plants in the greenhouse? You can use the hose. Teddy sulked. He knew he couldn't use magic outside of school, no matter how much he hated that fact. Not that she cared about that particular rule, as often as they'd broken it. But really, the very last thing she needed was the ministry to show up at her house due to his trace— Unlikely, but not outside of the realm of possibility. 
given the methods they'd used in the past to enter her home uninvited. The current tension between her and the Wizengamot and the ever-growing whispers that followed her around like a shade didn't help matters either. Hermione got to her feet, dusting the grass off her jeans. "'When you're ready.' With her parting words to Teddy, she made the walk back to her cottage, greeting Harry at the door. She glanced at her watch. They had another two hours before she'd have to skip out for lunch with Scorpius and Narcissa, who had decided to grace them with her presence, likely to observe her grandson's break time. Harry wore a slight cringe when she closed in on him. "'What is it?' "'We have to meet the teams in Godric's Hollow in an hour.' There have been a series of Death Eater sightings north of town. While not a great distance away, Godric's Hollow was the closest town to our home. If there were sightings, well, that was a little too close for comfort. We're putting the town under watch, issuing a curfew, and coordinating teams of guards. Any activity around your wards? None since the end of last month. The one she'd broken down and told him about a day or so after her and Malfoy's reconciliation. Harry had sent a team to Canvas but found nothing— not even a hint of any people in the woods around her home. It's been quiet. Too quiet. Did you... I spent this past full moon at Pansy's, and the next day we checked everything. No signs at all of any activity or disturbances. In fact, the last disturbance had been... House Mathers. Improving slowly. We were able to extract his memories, and... Harry looked disturbed. Killing him would have been an act of mercy. His family wants him obliviated, so he has the chance to start over. Risky, experimental, and ethically questionable. It was Roger's sort of case through and through. But she already knew it was something he would argue against because of his brother. Hermione made a note to set a meeting with him, for curiosity's sake, and then one with Theo to learn all the details. Today, though, there were more important matters. Is Andromeda still in the greenhouse? Yes, Malfoy's in the conservatory having a look around. That was odd. He'd been there before. Harry looked at his godson, who was stretched out against the grass that was exact shade of his hair. Is he coming in? Not yet. Interesting. He was oddly excited about coming. Actually, he wanted to brew shrinking solution. Harry scratched the stubble on his jaw. Did he... No, but close. There were no fires this time. His green eye softened with worry. It's fine. We handled it. Then we talked about the meeting today. He knows, at least in some capacity, what's happening. Stealth practice? You know it, Hermione chuckled, then thumbed over her shoulder. How's Malfoy? The look he gave her was as deadpan as the wizard she had inquired about. Mouth a horizontal slit, eyes on her, unblinking. Except there was something more genuine in Harry's expression. Something playful and chiding that made her roll her eyes. It was strange, but the thought floated past her like ash in the wind but a bit of it caught her attention in a way it shouldn't. Who would notice a speck of nothing, after all? He's himself, Harry's sarcasm lacked in a usual bite, but it didn't make her feel any better. Her odd sense of foreboding only grew when she entered the conservatory. Harry exited the back door to summon Andromeda, while Hermione approached Malfoy, who was frowning at the small Venus flytrap on her table next to the touch-me-not. It's for James. Malfoy cast a look at her. Do you always give odd plants as gifts? Not always. Hermione bit back a small smile. He suddenly wants a dog, and Harry decided to use this as a test when he returns. Malfoy looked puzzled, but he didn't realize just what a plant could teach a child. It's something he has to feed and take care of. She wanted him to understand the purpose. It'll either teach him responsibility, or Harry will be catching bugs to feed his son's plant. 
Either way, I've done my part. I see. Hermione watched as he ran a slow finger down the spine of the touch-me-not, which reacted by closing up. Thoughts of the last time he touched the plant were fresh on her mind. Thank you for coming. I'm not here for sentimental reasons, Granger. It doesn't matter why you're here, only that you are. Malfoy slowly turned to face her, his eyes fixed and immediately catching something that made him reach out and touch her hair. But before a puzzled Hermione could think or do or say anything, he explained away his actions by presenting a thick blade of grass that had been caught in her hair. He tossed it in the rubbish next to the table. Oh, Harry never said a thing. Hermione awkwardly patted her curls down. I doubt he noticed. But you did. Malfoy's stare took on a decidedly sharper edge before he abruptly looked away, ending the conversation. Had she not watched him closer, paid more attention to what he wasn't saying, the conversation might have been over. His body language gave nothing away, but there was a heaviness about him, a slightly familiar expression that made her wonder. Are you nervous? His responding scoff was incredulous and haughty. I have no reason to be. You've never met her, and she's your aunt. I'd be nervous if I were you. Her words made him tense. I've never met her, nor do I have a connection to her in any way, outside of lineage. Blood isn't the only thing that bonds people together. Hermione suppressed the urge to fill a fraction of space between them. I think gardening has made me understand that we're all connected to a deeper, more significant level. Whether we want to be or not, it's up to us to determine the hows and whys, and whether we choose to nurture that connection or not. By that logic, you and... He never finished his statement. The door opened and Hermione looked over her shoulder just in time for Andromeda to enter with Harry at her side. It felt as if everything, even time, came to a halt when the two relatives took each other in for the first time. Though she was more focused on Andromeda, Hermione could almost feel Malfoy's destabilizing spike in the energy as he inhaled involuntarily. By the time she looked, his mask was set, even if his energy wasn't. Instead of sitting at the table, Andromeda approached them. Hermione nearly stepped out of the way, but a odd feeling kept her rooted at his side. "'Hello, Draco.' Andromeda. Malfoy inclined his head. The manners he'd learned kept the action fluid, even if his tone was not. They observed one another for another breath. Then two. Andromeda was the first to break with a calculated attempt at amicability. You remind me so much of your mother. You mean my father. His comment was curt. Hermione had expected that, but something about its utterance caused a coil of caution to curl inside of her. That tone was reminiscent of one he'd used on her a time or two. "'In looks, I suppose. But the expression you're giving me right now reminds me very much of your mother.' And while Andromeda offered no further explanation, Hermione could see the similarities once they were all seated at the table. Malfoy and Andromeda sat on the opposite ends, while she and Harry buffered the space in between. Malfoy appraised his aunt with the same scrutiny he did everyone else when she returned with a floating tray of tea and biscuits. He began to politely stand, a move that made Andromeda's head tilt, but Hermione shook her head and raised her hand to halt his unnecessary action. Only when he relaxed back in his seat did she serve each person their tea and place the plate of biscuits in the center of the table. As she took her seat, Hermione caught sight of Malfoy's tension, which contrasted Harry's eagerness to help himself to a biscuit. He was the first, despite Hermione's hard look. "'I love your baking!' Unapologetically, Harry took a bite and closed his eyes. So good! Though I prefer your sad pies. 
Fortunately for him, he was too far to kick, but he caught the daggered glare and grinned sheepishly. I should shut up. Hermione almost answered yes, but changed her mind when she got Malfoy and Andromeda both unified in their puzzled expressions. It had been a good icebreaker moment, albeit unexpected, and she felt the tone shift in the room. If only for a moment. Both aunt and nephew looked at her, then at the plate of lemon biscuits. The latter's lingering gaze was filled far more scrutiny than the former. Did you say lemon? Andromeda helped herself politely. I love lemon. Well, anything, really. So did the person she had in mind when she'd made them, but Malfoy maintained his pensive silence. He seemed distracted, and it earned him the push Hermione gave, or shove. Malfoy loves lemon as well, isn't that right? His stare shifted into a scowl, carving a hole into Hermione to express his disapproval. She noted it with a raised eyebrow, but pressed on. She wouldn't step back. That much was clear in her body language and pointed look. There was a small tick in his jaw before his face relaxed slightly. "'That's correct.' His two words were delivered in slow drawl that sounded faintly like a growl. "'Then you should help yourself,' Hermione sipped her tea, which she did with petulant slowness, frowning all the way through the action of tasting the biscuit. It was hard to read him for approval, or maybe she hadn't fully tried, but he didn't voice any criticism, so she accepted it as a success. Next was the tea. Hermione watched him with the quiet hope that she'd gotten it right. She hadn't had another opportunity to observe his preferences, and she'd had to rely on her memory. One sugar or two? Steeped for how many minutes? All sorts of questions weaved around as she prepared it today, but her only indication that she'd gotten it right was how quickly he finished it. She smiled into her own cup. It appears we both like lemon. Andromeda, who was used to dealing with the whims and emotions of a teenager, used some of that patience on her nephew. Your mother hates it, or anything that isn't delicate or sweet. Her subsequent chuckle was brittle and awkward, but well-meaning. It wasn't the best thing Andromeda could have said, and maybe she was nervous. Even Harry picked up on the error of her words with his cringe, but he helped himself to a second and third biscuit. He was hungry, and Hermione found herself wondering how he could eat. Her stomach had been twisted in knots from all the tension. Malfoy cleared his throat, and she froze. Nothing good could come from that sound. How exactly would you know that her tastes haven't changed? Crisp, sharp, and calculated. There it was. Malfoy had been waiting for the perfect line, the perfect moment to strike. You abandoned your family and haven't seen or spoken to my mother in years. For the longest twenty seconds of her life, Hermione couldn't speak. Her heart beat in her ears. Harry shoved an entire biscuit in his mouth. The graying sky served as a reflection of the mood of the conservatory. It was hard to ignore, but even harder to resist the urge to step in. That wouldn't work, not with either of them, nor had it been part of her plan in attending. Her role was simple. Provide a safe space, serve as a buffer, and let them interact. Malfoy's definition of interact, however, apparently involved going on the attack. But Hermione was quickly reminded of the difference between Andromeda and those who found themselves frustrated with Draco Malfoy. She let his attack roll off of her, like the rain that would soon be sliding down the glass. Unforgivingly direct and abrupt. Andromeda chuckled to herself. You are definitely my sister's son. Not one for small talk, are you? Not if it can be helped. Then we should bypass it completely. Yes. Not liking Malfoy's tone, Harry gave her a wide-eyed look that begged for intervention before washing his biscuit down with tea. Hermione still waited with the fading hope of civility and wished for the strength to not vocalize her irritation. 
loudly. I suppose you want to know why I declined to show up for tea with your mother. Andromeda picked up her teacup and took a small sip. Hermione focused on the rhythmic action of Malfoy tapping his finger on the table, then expanded it to him and the way his jaw clenched, belying just how tightly his teeth were clenched. She made note of the defiance that rolled off of him in every small action, right down to the razor-cut focus on his aunt. That's a good place to start. I have no excuse, except that I wasn't ready. Andromeda's open response surprised Hermione out of outright staring at Malfoy. I'll admit that I tried several times to start a letter to send, but the longer I heard nothing from her, the more discouraged I became. That's not an excuse. No, it isn't. But communication is two-way, Draco. It shouldn't have taken thirteen years for your mother to decide that I'm worth reconnecting with. And it shouldn't take her dying for you to decide she's worth reconsidering. The sound of Andromeda's teacup shattering was clamorous. Harry and Hermione both jolted into action. She vanished the broken mess while Harry checked on the paling witch who kept apologizing repeatedly and profusely. Malfoy remained perfectly calm. When Andromeda stood abruptly, Malfoy rose to his feet as well, though he looked considerably more confused by her loud reaction. But Hermione knew one thing he didn't. Andromeda didn't know, and he'd carelessly dropped a bomb she had been hoping to ease the older witch into gently during the course of their conversation. Realization crept up on her, an ache written all over her face and her shaking hands and her actions and the way she kept blinking in shock. Lost. Stunned beyond words. The truth began to cut through the mental preparation she'd done to prepare for this meeting. When Andromeda finally found her words, they were choked. I... Excuse me. I'm afraid I might be ill. Hand on her chest, the other on her head, Andromeda staggered in the wrong direction, towards the back door that led outside. The door slamming behind her resounded, snapping the stunned Harry to attention. He immediately followed her, but not before hotly glaring at Malfoy, who looked confused and scattered. It wasn't until they were alone that he'd uttered, I thought she knew. I hadn't told her. Hermione pinched the bridge of her nose. I was working up to it. Malfoy went to the window that overlooked her land and observed. It wasn't long before she joined him. Below, not too far away, stood Andromeda, visibly upset, sobbing on Harry as he held on to the smaller woman. Malfoy looked on, with his arms folded, a blank slate for all she could tell, but his presence made her realize that he wasn't as unaffected as he appeared. Why didn't you tell her before today? His question was even and quiet. I respect the vow I took. I respect my role as your mother's healer. Hermione stepped closer to the window. I've seen Andromeda, but your mother only gave me permission to tell her not too long ago. I was hoping to break it to her gently. Perhaps I should have told you that, but you clearly came here with your own agenda. Yes, I did. And that was to have my questions answered. What Andromeda didn't tell you was that one time she tried to approach your mother. Their eyes met for a second before returning to the painful scene outside. She saw Narcissa while she was in the midst of an episode. She didn't remember her. All she got from Malfoy in the following moments was unease. Guilt. Hermione knew where it came from and what it looked like. It was in the silence after harsh words, a feeling of being unsettled and hollow. Guilt would eat at anyone when their heart knew better. It was a present weight, another one he bore, one of the many. But today, truth made it heavier than usual, and he strained under the weight. 
Although manageable to hold, it was ultimately unnecessary. I... Hermione bit her lip in the moment of silent thoughtfulness. I think you know as well as I do that family is messy and imperfect. It's never pretty, but it is a solid ground for forgiveness to be planted and nurtured. Excellent words, Granger, but I know you can, that you believe you need to, but don't burn all of your bridges out of spite. Hermione never moved, but Hermione knew she had his attention. You might not agree with her. You might not like her excuse, but she's your family. She'll be all you and Scorpius have before long. I know you don't believe it now, but you will need her. You'll both need each other. Doubtful. His voice was brittle. I've survived my entire life without knowing her. Survived? Yes. But are you thriving? Where had that come from? The question and answer were out concurrently, her mind returning to a time not long ago when Narcissa had asked the same thing. Hermione remembered feeling odd, and rightly so. It was a simple yet personal question, but one she had never answered for herself. It patiently waited, but right then, Malfoy remained unmoved by her poetic question, or the silence that fell in the seconds that gathered after. Does it matter? Nothing wrong with surviving. Hermione watched as he lowered his eyes. It means you haven't given up. But since you want to be better for Scorpius, you'll have to want better for yourself, too. Outside, Harry was speaking to Andromeda, as was his way. The years helping her raise Teddy had fostered a bond between them that was much like a mother and son, but also a friend. He was working on his end, and she had to work on hers. Your mother needs this, and she needs your support. I'm not asking that you— What are you asking me to do, Granger? Try. Hermione put aside calculation and just leveled with him. Not for your mother or Scorpius or for anyone else— just yourself. You need this just as much as anyone. She kept her next words low and private, just between them. No one ever truly understands what it's like to lose someone you love, except for the person it's happening to. You both have lost time and time again, and, after catching the slight twitch in his hand, Hermione made alterations. Everyone loves, grieves, expresses sorrow, and shows their pain in so many different ways. Like your relationship with your mother, distance doesn't negate the fact that you love her, doesn't change the fact that you care about her well-being and want the best for her regarding the care she's afforded. Same with Andromeda, I think, but only you can figure that out for yourself. If you're not willing to do that, what was your reason for coming at all? Hermione excused herself to clear the table, sending it all to the kitchen where she washed everything by hand and put them away. Upon her return to the conservatory, she expected one thing, but found another. Malfoy was gone, and Harry stood in his place, looking out the window, deep in thought, and she quickly found out the reason for his expression. Andromeda and Malfoy were in her vegetable patch. Together. Neither were speaking or even standing near each other, but all Hermione could think about was the complexity of bridges. So much effort, time, and calculation were needed to even begin construction— the first step was both simple and complicated, requiring a complete teardown of the walls that obstructed the path, and now was just the time to do it. July 20th, 2011. Hermione hesitated twice before opening the door she'd been standing in for the past five minutes. Permission had been given. She was free to enter as she wished, but today was the first test of the access he'd granted her into the library. It wasn't her first return visit 
They'd already spent two evenings working side by side on translations in the last week, but Hermione hadn't been the first to arrive. Today, thanks to more Death Eater sightings around Godric's Hollow, he wasn't. But with Malfoy gone, Narcissa at a fundraising event, draped with security and Keating, Scorpius drawing with Albus before bed, and nothing pressing, Hermione had time to read through his research into Narcissa's disease. She would have taken the sofa, but the space his desk provided to spread out was necessary, which was a bit alarming for one particular reason. Malfoy had cleared a spot for her by neatly stacking his work on one side. The tidiness brought her attention to something she hadn't seen since her first visit. The pictures of him and Scorpius sat in the front of a new bamboo plant, which was properly watered and placed in front of a perfect spot for the indirect sunlight it thrived on. Hermione found her attention drifting to the picture of Malfoy holding a newborn Scorpius, taking in the softer expression, which gave new and deeper meaning to the note she could never forget. You're the best choice I've ever made. Then she turned to the more recent photo, noticing something she hadn't before. It was nothing more than a glance, a flash, a hint. When Malfoy rested a hand on Scorpius's shoulder, the little boy shifted away from his touch, and that was when she saw it clearly written on his face. Worry. Another clue. Another moment of hindsight. Another moment her bias hadn't allowed her to see clearly. Hermione sighed into the empty room, opened the first of his folders and got to work, trying to clear her mind of the growing swell of thoughts concerning the father and son in the photo she kept glancing at. She shook her head and focused, but still found herself noticing little things, like the difference between their approach to Narcissa's disease. Malfoy's initial focus had been on the actual science, the symptoms and the cause. Hers had been with the broader picture, the totality of dementia. Where Hermione had been focused on slowing it down, Malfoy wanted to break it down to its molecular level in order to find a cure. To save her. Hermione had accepted that there was no cure immediately, because that was what everyone had told her, even the books, but he'd needed explicit proof, and there wasn't hope for that before accepting her fate. The first two folders showed his relentless pursuit to root out a cure, but somewhere in the middle of the third, his research shifted, changed, as Malfoy began to accept the truth. His focus became more about the individual symptoms and the best way to treat them. It had led him to a similar place. Only where she'd gotten her information on treatment potions from Charles, Malfoy had found out firsthand. His idea of combining the potions was laid out on parchment in his awful handwriting that she had to squint to interpret. She read over the list of every possible bonding agent he'd figured out. The ones he'd ruled out had a single line through each name. Amongst the survivors were photos of each herb along with pages of research into their properties. His theory to combine the three potions involved small proposed alterations to the current recipe, and should it work, it would vastly improve the regime she had Narcissa on. Hermione needed a quill to make a note for herself and looked around, her eye catching something off to the side a folded note with her name on it written in messy scrawl. Granger, if left wizarding law books in the bottom left drawer you might find useful. Before she could inspect said drawer, the office door opened slowly and a blonde head peeked in. Scorpius. Hermione brightened at the mere sight of him, more when he pushed the door open wider, revealing that he'd already dressed for bed. He wasn't alone. Catherine was behind him. Um? Catherine was clearly surprised and visibly flustered by her presence. How did you get through the warding? Mr. Malfoy is very particular about his privacy. He allows Scorpius, but no one else. I usually slip my status report under the door. I'm aware. Even though she hadn't known the extent, 
He's allowed me access as we're working on a few projects together. Catherine nodded, then she remembered the child in front of her. Scorpius wanted to say goodnight. But he ended up at the bookshelf instead. Oh? Hermione checked her watch, eyes bulging. Two hours had passed since she'd started delving into his research. It had felt like mere minutes. He's not here yet, but should be here soon. We're scheduled to work on research tonight. If you've got plans, Scorpius can wait with me. His bedtime isn't for another half hour. He started wanting to come down earlier lately, so I prepared him for bed earlier. Any plans for the rest of your evening? Hermione asked conversationally. It occurred to Hermione how little she knew about someone she saw every day. I'm meeting my roommates and their friends for a dinner and a show. Sounds like a fun night. I haven't been out in a while. Catherine had sounded excited, appearing more at ease than she was when she first entered. I usually stay in the guest quarters when Mrs. Malfoy or Mr. Malfoy are out beyond Scorpius' bedtime. That surprised her. You have a room here. Yes, I have my own quarters upstairs. The words let me know if Scorpius needs me. Well, that was impressive. Yelling or arguing was the only way Hermione could tell if one of Harry's kids needed her whenever the lot stayed over. She was curious about how that worked. If one of them is home and it's early enough, I have a flat in London. I have roommates because I'm so far from my family. It's like a built-in friendship circle. Those are important. They both watched as Scorpius scanned the bookshelf. He'd quickly selected the first book, but was stuck between two extra options for his second. Hermione stood and made a gesture to the sofa for them all to sit. Catherine joined her after leaving her daily report on Malfoy's desk. Scorpius returned with his choices, looking proud of himself, but then squinty until he realized there was a spot for him at Hermione's side. And Catherine wasn't in it. Once he all but snuggled up at her side, with his feet tucked beside him, he opened his first find and settled into looking at colorful pictures of plants. Hermione glanced over at Catherine, who wore a rather warm expression while watching her charge. "'I think we're getting along better now,' Catherine's whisper was conspiratorial, even though the subject could clearly have heard them if he'd paid attention. "'He hasn't hidden in weeks.' It likely had to do with the fact that things were much different for him now. There had been a decrease in stressors in his life. Her presence and safe haven— the loosening of rules and the increase in his ability to communicate, the new yet tentatively growing bond between him and his father, his first friendship, small but all monumental in bringing him out of the shell he'd hidden in. But Hermione kept quiet about her analysis, more interested in watching Scorpius change his mind about the picture book and pick up his alternative, Winnie the Pooh. First edition. You know, I think it's great what you're doing for them. Hermione looked up to find her watching them both, a small smile on her face. Before she could reply, Scorpius signed, Please, pointed to the book, and gave her adorably pleading eyes, like she would ever tell him no. Of course. Scorpius flashed a quick smile and settled again as she opened the book, noting the signs that she was first to do so. The crack of the stiff spine, the pristine pages, the scent. It was a rare collectible purchased for a child worth far more, one that would be appreciated. Has this been read to you before? He shook his head. You're in for a treat, but I'll need your help turning the pages. He signed okay, and Hermione started. The more she read, the more comfortable he got. He rested his head on her arm and wound his arms around hers. When his thumb made its way to his mouth, the countdown commenced. A glimpse at Catherine two pages later for a silent check-in proved just how right she was. But before he dropped off completely— before his breathing shifted to the deep slumber of a tired child, the flu came to life and outstepped his father, who halted in his steps, surveying the room. Scorpius slowly blinked awake, rubbing his eyes. Catherine was instantly on nervous edge. We were— 
You've done nothing wrong, Malfoy's tone was leveled and careful. Even though his words were directed at Scorpius's nanny, his eyes slid back and forth between her and Scorpius, who was still snuggled at her side. He hadn't moved or let go, only yawned adorably, his mouth forming a perfect circle. Scorpius sat up slowly, then tensed when he realized his father had arrived. Wide awake by that point, he greeted him with a shy wave that his father returned. Apologies for being late. He stepped fully into the room. We had a situation at work, and I was detained on another matter. Not a problem at all. Catherine brought Scorpius here before bed. He wanted to wait up to say good night. Hermione gently extracted her arm from his before closing the book and making a mental note of where to pick it up. She didn't want to bend the pages. Scorpius stood and slowly approached his father, peering up at him until Malfoy did something he'd seen her do over the course of the last week. He got down on one knee. It was always interesting how a small action made such a large impact. Now that he wasn't such a large figure, Scorpius only needed a bit of vocal prodding from Catherine and a nod from Hermione before he signed Good Night, exactly how she taught him, just like he'd practiced. His ears turned pink from his father's attention, and Hermione had to cover a grin. The sight was too wholesome for words. But then Malfoy did something that made her breath catch, her smile fading to something just as tentative as his action. He signed two words that gave Scorpius pause, made him look to her for interpretation, a phrase he didn't know, and one that she did. Sweet dreams. Hermione repeated the sign, only now with words and meaning. Scorpius's eyes went wide at the surprise affection expressed in simple words, while his father's ever-present nerves laid underneath the layer of calm he tried to radiate. She saw his discomfort, but also his resolve, and while Scorpius didn't sign back, he took an unconscious step towards his father, both of their eyes wandering down as he opened his small hand in what appeared to be the start of an offering. But then he bottled up, shied away, and stepped back while signing good night again, he scrambled to Hermione's side for comfort and support. His lean turned into an embrace that could be described as stolen, only it wasn't, not really. It was willingly given. "'You did so well,' Hermione whispered between them, as Malfoy rose to his full height. "'Sweet dreams!' Hermione showed the little boy the sign again, which he did for the first time on his own for her, then shyly for his father before leaving with Catherine. He looked back three times." It wasn't until the door shut behind them that Malfoy showed a hint of exhaustion. He ran a hand over his face and tried to start the new task. Hermione didn't move. Sit for a moment. Hermione gestured to the sofa and was surprised when he listened without argument. He must have been tired. Godric's Hollow? More sightings farther away from town. Hermione watched as he removed his tie and laid it on the table. The act was something normal that anyone would do after a long, frustrating day— but it was more noteworthy that he had done so in her presence, and without much thought. What have you all been instructed to do? Hestia has been given out the discretion to handle the situation, so we've expanded our patrol twenty kilometers out. There are auras positioned throughout the village and task force members patrolling the woods. Potter is likely still there. Meaning things were more serious. I live within the patrol zone. Should I be worried? Are you? Dressed like a question, his comments sounded more like a probe, testing the strength of her confidence, looking for weaknesses. It wouldn't be surprising if you were. Potter has expressed concerns for your safety. To you? Not just him. Malfoy sat back, appearing relaxed, but there was an undercurrent of tension that could have meant so many things. I've heard concerns from multiple sources. Theo. Which made sense. 
Still, he didn't confirm or deny it, but his silence was more than enough to confirm her assumptions that her friends were talking. Hermione didn't like discussions surrounding her, never had, but she found it far more irritating now that Malfoy was privy to them. Now, what I don't understand is why. His face narrowed in slight suspicion. We're all under the same threat. Potter's home was vandalized. Why is there so much discussion about your solitude and your wards? Perhaps my confidence in them is worrying, but I'm not apologizing for it. The look he gave her stretched in the quiet office, stirred by the way he didn't divert his attention to anything else, and ended when he finally did. Rising to his feet, he moved towards his desk, which prompted Hermione to follow. Malfoy leafed through the papers she'd left strewn all over his desk, and picked up one parchment, squinting until he summoned his glasses and put them on. "'Sorry,' Hermione cringed at the disorganized mess she'd left in her wake. "'I was interrupted. I can just—' Malfoy waved a hand, and the notes neatly arranged themselves into the folders, which then stacked on top of themselves. "'Thanks. How far did you get?' "'I was in the third folder, just reading everything and making notes. I had a few questions.' "'Naturally.' Hermione cut her eyes at his tone, but felt silly for having such a reaction. It wasn't dismissive, just sarcastic. "'Only a few, but as they pertain to your research, just things I've been curious about along the way.' "'Such as?' Like earlier when she'd sat down, his seat automatically adjusted to his height and comfort, making him appear taller, even while seated. Malfoy regarded her with dry curiosity as he offered the other open chair. It wasn't necessary, but it was polite, and the last week or so had taught her to accept the small gestures. Still strange, but in the spirit of peace, Hermione inclined her head before taking a seat. The first time your mother accidentally apparated, where did she go? To the manor. It was very clear he didn't want to answer, but did so anyway. To answer your follow-up question, she never goes anywhere twice. Like always, one answered question sprouted another, and more further tickling her curiosity. How did you know where to find her? Malfoy leaned back. Hermione folded her arms, waiting patiently. But she was supremely confused when he took off his signet ring and placed it on the table. There's your answer. What? The ring has been spelled to bring me to her side should she get lost like a special sort of port key. The spellwork involved in its creation wasn't unfamiliar, though not anything she had done before due to the level of complexity involved, and the mistakes that could be made during the creation. She'd never needed to go into such great lengths, unlike Malfoy. Apparently, Hermione had been reeling in shocked silence for too long. It's not illegal, if that's what you're wondering. Malfoy's drawl was like the aura surrounding him, a bit guarded and defensive, and but above all, unapologetic. Frowned upon, yes. Unethical, possibly. Illegal, no. I've checked to make sure. He lifted a brow over the black frame of his glasses. Arguments? Several, but more importantly, why are you telling me? It was done for my mother's security, something you previously mentioned my lack of foresight on. I'm telling it to you now to show you that your statement was incorrect, and I have considered it. Should she wander away in a public setting or accidentally disapparate, I'll only need that to find her. Malfoy gestured to the ring on her desk as if allowing Hermione to examine it for herself, which she did. You could use a tracking spell. They can be... Malfoy paused abruptly when she absently slipped the ring on her middle finger. It wasn't close to fitting. Inaccurate. No need to look. She already felt him watching, but she couldn't stop herself from lifting her head anyway. Heavy, focused, but slightly lidded. He rested his elbow on the arm of his chair and cupped his chin in his hand. 
Hermione fought back the discomfort of feeling exposed in a moment she shouldn't have been scrutinized, ignoring the sensation that coursed through her veins and the sensation so tense the only thing she could reason to do was take off the ring. Before Hermione could place it on the desk, Malfoy whispered a spell that brought the ring to life in her hand. The emerald stone lit up, pulsing slowly. It quickens the closer I am to her. How is this tied to your mother? As far as I know, there has to be something it's connected to. She wears my father's wedding ring around her neck. Malfoy folded his arms across his chest. He gave it to her the night he died. It took the better part of three months to work out the magic, and another to work out a deterrent charm to make her reconsider removing it. That is the unethical part. He caught the surprised look on her face. Arguments? Several. Does Narcissa know? Yes. Malfoy put the ring back on. It was her suggestion, after it took hours for me to find her once when a tracking charm I set didn't work. I placed a deterrent charm as well, so if she has a moment of forgetfulness, she doesn't want to pull it off. As you know, my mother does not like feeling out of control. Yes, I know. The morality was questionable at best, but if Narcissa approved, there wasn't much argument for Hermione. Besides, it was fail-proof, and it worked in a way that gave her peace of mind. I don't much like it, but... You'll ignore rules when they no longer suit your needs. Which was true, but Hermione hadn't expected the blunt statement. You've got me all figured out, then. Not exactly. What else do you want to know? She opened her hands. Unlike you, I'm an open book. Are you? Malfoy's eyebrow lifted in challenge. About your opinions, arguments, and judgments on anything you find reprehensible, or not up to your standards. Yes, you are absolutely are. Anything else? Not so much curious statement from someone who knows how I prefer my tea. I've observed. He went into his desk and pulled out a scheduler. I need to cancel Thursday. Quite an abrupt change in topic, but Hermione was quick on the update. That's fine. The real reason I was late tonight is I went to visit my aunt. Hermione's thoughts came to a stuttering halt. What? During the dinner she forced me to eat. Malfoy glared hotly when she made a small amused noise. Andromeda definitely had a knack for forcing meals, and she wondered what tactics the witch had used on her impossibly stubborn nephew. Blunt force? Hermione's smile grew with the mental image that faded when she realized she was being watched. We coordinated a meeting for tomorrow, he continued on. Given the circumstances and both of their willingness to meet, my aunt doesn't want to wait any longer. I'll speak to my mother when she returns tonight. I can host... She volunteered instantly, still flabbergasted that they managed to sort it out without her intervention. This was the best news she'd gotten all week, even though Malfoy's expression remained flat. I can cook, and... Malfoy silenced her by clearing his throat pointedly, then shook his head in something close to amusement. My aunt told me you would volunteer to host, which is fine, as your home is neutral, familiar place for us all. As far as cooking, she said to tell you to receive... Hermione only frowned. She could hear Andromeda saying those very words in her head. There was no point in arguing with her, especially from a distance. Fine, but who'll cook? It's none of your concern. But, Hermione exhaled her need to know every detail in hopes that it would go away. Just for this. Fine, that's fine. She's right. I am busy. I have interpretation work, research into this binding ingredient, and my actual work— I need to begin brewing next month's wolfsbane, and I don't have to control. She trailed off when she looked back at Malfoy, who was regarding her with an expression reserved for someone who was unhinged. She scowled at him. You're judging me. I am. A quirk of his jaw made him appear more stern. 
Malfoy proceeded to lay out his work for the evening and handed her two law books from the drawer. Hermione accepted them both, along with the parchment of translated text. It took several minutes of quiet work for her to realize that the expression on his face had been one of amusement. July 21st, 2011 Andromeda had clearly spent the previous evening planning, thinking, and creating. It was all delivered to Hermione's house by an amused Ginny mid-afternoon. They unpacked everything together. Each time one had a question of whether something had been forgotten, the other pulled out the missing item from the bag. Dinner consisted of beef bourguignon, baked ratatouille, and spaghetti. Who's the spaghetti for? Hermione opened the container, smiling when she noticed the lack of one thing. Escorpius. He doesn't eat meat. Malfoy must have told her. Ginny's brow rose. Malfoy's bringing him? It made sense. Narcissa canceled his afternoon lessons today. Daphne's coming and bringing Halia. Teddy's here, too. They're his cousins, after all. I'll confess, I'm excited to meet him. Harry said... Harry's met him? Hermione looked at her sharply. Yes, last week. Interesting. No one had said a word about that encounter. He went by Malfoy's for something for work, and he couldn't tell if he was being stared at or glared at. Probably both. She was amused by how awkward her best friend might have acted for Scorpius to stare so hard. He does that to new people. Tonight is going to be interesting for him. I asked Malfoy to bring him by early to give him time to adjust. You seem to have him figured out. Ginny gave her a knowing look that made Hermione arch her brow in response. Nothing wrong with that, but you're very in tune with his needs. I see him daily. It's different, and you know it. I already told you. I'm attached. And his father? Ginny gave her a look that hinted at the restraint she wielded. She had far more questions than she was allowing herself to ask. I think it's hard to attach yourself to one without connecting it all to the other. The same logic could be applied to Narcissa, and while she's my patient and we're not clashing as hard as we used to, I'm not particularly attached to her. It wasn't exactly the truth, and Ginny's glare told her she knew it. You never answered my original question. They both stopped when they heard faint voices coming from her office flue. It was the kids calling from Shell Cottage. Hermione returned to the kitchen while Ginny talked. Harry and Teddy were the first who arrived, and she sent them both to set the table. By the time it was her turn, everything was completely ready. She settled in front of the fireplace, waiting silently while the boys argued about who was going to talk to Aunt Hermione first. Lily apparently had wandered off. "'Okay, boys. James, let Al go first. She could almost hear the older boys sulking. It was as loud as Al's victorious chant. "'I miss you, Aunt Miney!' "'I miss you too, love,' Hermione smiled. "'Are you having fun?' "'Yes, but—' He fell quiet when she heard the bashfulness in his voice when he spoke again. "'I miss home. And Scorp. Is he there?' "'No, not yet, but I'll see if we can call next week.' It would be a one-way conversation, but maybe being in each other's presence would help ease the separation. Okay. That perked him right up, but Albus had more questions. And my marker? Is it still there? I went to see the trees with Uncle Bill, and I wasn't scared. Okay, maybe a little. You didn't even go in the forest with us, James tattled. Almost, though, Al argued stubbornly. It's not your turn. No, it's not. Hermione watched the dancing flames. Al asking about his marker made her heart ache. She missed their Saturdays. The days alone were quieter than she would have liked. And yes, Al, your flag is still there. When you come back, we'll go walking, okay? Okay. James, your turn. There was an awkward pause. 
Can I come walking, too? The eldest Potter child exhibited an uncharacteristic shyness. He'd inherited his mother's brash nature, after all. I won't make fun of Al. Promise? Al whispered. Pinky swear? I swear. Another quiet moment passed. I miss home, too. The first thing I want to do is eat fruit and play with the chickens. Me, too, but also with Scorp. He's my best friend. He's your only friend. That's right! Alba sounded so proud. I only need one! The ensuing chatter and light arguing did nothing to ease the twinge in her chest. Hermione missed them terribly, and she found herself listening more than talking until Harry let her know that Andromeda had arrived. With a nod, Hermione told the boys she would talk to them later, right about the time Bill's voice came through the fireplace to ask if they wanted to go swimming. It was something they enthusiastically agreed to, and they rushed off to change. Harry stayed behind to have a few words with his brother-in-law, while Hermione went to change into something more suitable for dinner. The conservatory was always comfortably warm, thanks to charms, so she opted for a floral sundress that fell above her knees. Feminine but functional. Hermione was stepping into a pair of nude flats when there was a knock on her bedroom door. Come in. It was Pansy, who wore a black and white striped dress. She took in Hermione's attire and frowned. Please tell me you're going to wear heels. I happen to be in my own home, and I'm hosting. Unless you're here to help me wrestle my hair into... You already know that I am. She held up the sleek easies. Pansy used quite a bit to force Hermione's curls into submission, while grouching that Hermione needed to take mercy on her split ends and make time for a haircut. She might have had a point. It was beyond time. They both looked at her in the mirror in her newly finished bathroom. My job is complete. Pansy glanced at her watch as she tucked her hair behind her ear, looking nervous for the first time in a while. How do you think this will go? Now that everyone is here, I'm hoping for the best. Hermione started down the steps, Pansy at her side. She hasn't seen her sister in decades. Dinner can go so many ways, but it's important that it happens, and that everyone is willing. Honestly, I think we've gotten over the biggest hurdle, and that was... Her words died when they reached the bottom landing, and found the Malfoy standing in her living room. And while she quickly noted Narcissa's soft robes and the fact that Scorpius looked adorable in his bow tie, blue and white checkered shirt, and navy dress trousers, Hermione found her attention settled on the anomaly. Draco Malfoy. Everything about him was normal. His hair was parted as severely as usual. The Malfoy signet ring was on his right hand, and his glasses were on, likely to read the book he carried. Even his attire was typical. His shirt was black like every other shirt Hermione had ever seen him in. But that was where normality ended, and the deviation began. And it was simple, really. His trousers matched his tie. Nothing incredibly memorable about that, except that they were both gray, not black. And he looked... Narcissa, you look lovely! Pansy crossed behind the sofa to greet her and Scorpius. And while Hermione was curious about those interactions, as she had never been in the same room with all three at once, they might as well have faded into the background. Everything was upstaged by Malfoy. Her eyes lingered, searching, very much aware that she was under his scrutiny as well. No one in her entire life had ever looked at her like he was now. It made her step back, her heel coming into contact with the bottom step, but Hermione didn't fall. No, she approached, catching sight of Pansy ruffling Scorpius's hair in a familiar gesture, which made the little boy adorably scrunch his face. They were familiar, but not enough for him to seek her out. From the look of it, Scorpius didn't seem to know how to categorize her. Granger. 
Her name from his mouth sounded like a statement, a greeting, and a question rolled into one. It seemed he could say nothing else. The quick moment of reprieve, while observing the humorous scene beside them, was gone the moment she attempted to pass. She attempted to maintain enough distance to prevent the familiar pull towards him, but she felt it anyway. Malfoy? Ginny stepped into the room from the conservatory. They're out in the garden. Pansy looked at Narcissa. Are you ready? Narcissa's face was blank when she nodded, and Hermione wondered if she showed her nerves the same way Malfoy did. But she didn't have time to dissect the similarities because the two linked arms and followed Ginny into the conservatory. Hermione quickly glanced back at Malfoy, who was looking down. What was he? She glanced down and found Scorpius peering up at her with wide eyes. He waved. Hi there. If they had been alone, Scorpius would have smiled. Instead, he keenly looked at his father, who was watching them closely. Malfoy cleared his throat and walked off. Hermione sat on the sofa, and Scorpius stood in front of her, waiting until the door shut behind his father before dimpling at her. She fixed the collar of his shirt and brushed his hair back into place. "'Your dad wants to see you smile, too.' His face transformed from pleased to thoughtful to nervous. His face transformed from pleased to thoughtful to nervous. The corners of his mouth forming a frown so quickly that Hermione pressed her finger to his nose to stop whatever was going through his head from taking root. Boop! He grinned so hard his eyes closed. We're going to have dinner. Do you remember the sign for dinner? Of course he did. Excellent, Hermione beamed. And there are going to be people here. His features morphed into something close to concern. I'll be here. You know that, right? He nodded. Your Aunt Daphne's coming, and she's bringing Halia. You'll get to meet your cousin Teddy, too. He's nice. His hair changes colors. Scorpius looked cautiously excited. Hermione offered her hand to the silent boy. A few months ago, he wouldn't have accepted it. But today, there was trust rather than hesitation. Belief where their suspicion had once lived. His hand wasn't clammy anymore, and he walked beside her rather than slightly behind. Hermione had a moment of understanding that wherever she went, Scorpius would follow. And the reverse was just as true. Ginny silently stood next to Malfoy at the window as they watched the scene outside. The sun was out, no clouds in sight. It was perfect for a reunion. The right light needed to reconnect broken pieces of a dying family. There was no shame in it, no pride. When Andromeda, who stood between Teddy and Harry, laid eyes on her sister, she moved on her own. Narcissa did, too, letting her hand slip away from Pansy's arm. They met in the middle. No words were traded, just affection in the form of an embrace. Connection. It was beautiful to witness. All broken things could be fixed with care, time, and patience, but sometimes it took a little help. Movement caught her attention, a hand tightening its hold on hers in the same way he held on to her cardigan every morning. Hermione held her breath when she spotted Scorpius tentatively, bravely reaching for his father's hand to make a connection of his own. One he had tried to make last night, but lost his nerve. Malfoy looked at her first, then down at Scorpius. He didn't startle when a little hand wrapped around two of his fingers. He didn't even flinch. He just held on and inhaled. Exhaled. Hermione watched his eyes shut as the shoulders that silently carried too much weight sagged. It was something wordless that knew no bounds. Relief. Hermione had a shadow named Scorpius Malfoy. In truth, he was more like a baby duckling trailing after her from room to room, from one end of the kitchen to the other, always a careful distance away so she didn't bump into him. 
Not that she ever would. Hermione was keenly aware of his presence with every step she took. Every move. Always willing to help, Scorpius managed to leave her side long enough to bring things like napkins to Pansy, so she could finish setting up the table, while Harry and Teddy remained outside with the Black Sisters. He came back with the blush staining his cheeks and his hair in disarray from Pansy's teasing. He looked so flustered that Hermione stopped to fix it. She got it as close to normal as possible. Better? From the island, his father and Ginny watched the entire routine. When Pansy came in to start bringing plated food out to the table, Scorpius got behind Hermione, peeking at the witch who just laughed and laughed. Ginny rolled her eyes, and with a snap of her fingers, Pansy's laughter was silenced, which made her so comically irate that Scorpius laughed. Out loud. And while Malfoy stared at his son as if he'd never seen him before, Ginny winked at Scorpius, who covered his face and burrowed into Hermione's side. The redhead looked on, ready to audibly coo at him, but she refrained, only just. When they were gone with the main dishes, leaving the sides for return trips, she rested an affectionate hand on his head. "'Would you like to sit with your dad? You've been such an excellent helper.' He peered over at Malfoy, who pretended to read his book, then up at her, and nodding shyly. He ended up on the stool next to his father, blatantly staring at him, much like he had at breakfast or any other time she'd come across them in Malfoy's office. Now, though, his head barely crested over the island, looking so much smaller next to his father. The sight made Hermione smile into her fist behind a delicate cough that caused Malfoy to glance up from his book, eyebrow raised over the rim of his glasses. "'He wants to know what you're reading,' Hermione said. "'That's why he stares at you like that.' "'He's not,' Malfoy frowned, then glanced over and seemed quite surprised to find Scorpius watching him with quiet curiosity. "'Oh!' Awkwardly, he showed his son the cover of the book. "'It's about a hobbit.' Merlin. Their saving grace was in the form of Daphne and Dean, whose arrival ended the strange moment. "'Sorry we're late,' Dean had Holia cradled against his chest fast asleep. "'You're not. Theo's not here yet. How did it go?' Daphne's question alerted Scorpius to her presence, and he turned towards her, peeling his eyes away from the cover of his father's book. Hermione didn't answer. From the way Daphne's attention zeroed in on her nephew, it was doubtful that she would have heard anything Hermione said anyway. Hi. It hurt how cautious she seemed around him, but before tonight, Hermione had never seen the two in the same room together. The only thing she knew was that Scorpius hadn't looked at her much since his mother died. But that wasn't the case today. Scorpius couldn't stop staring. Distracted so completely, he nearly slid off his stool. It was his dad's quick hands that helped him ease him down. Hermione walked around the island, coming up to Malfoy's side, as he had completely turned on his stool. Together they watched Scorpius tentatively cross the room to where his aunt sat on the sofa. He stood in front of her, scanning her face as if committing it to memory. Daphne looked close to tears when he hugged her, tucking his face into her neck while he played with the ends of her hair. The act settled something in him. The hair. Why does he do that? She and Malfoy were just out of earshot, but not by much. Thoughts of the last time he'd touched her hair were fresh on her mind. She had to know. He used to hug his mother like that. Hermione looked at the man watching the sight with an unreadable expression before glancing back and taking an unconscious step forward. Malfoy grabbed her wrist. Not hard, just firm. His hand was warm against her skin. Hermione peered down, then back at him. But he didn't let go. They heard Daphne sniffle, followed by a choked sob that echoed throughout the room. 
Does... Does she look like Astoria? Is that why he couldn't look? Yes. Another reminder of the pain in knowledge. The confirmation was brutal. Malfoy released her wrist and reached into his pocket, producing a handkerchief that he pressed into her open hands. One second. Two. Three passed before he let it go and left her feeling as warm as his hands. She gave Scorpius and Daphne time and space before joining them, laying a gentle hand on each of their backs. Scorpius was the first to lift his head, and he stared at his aunt with the same concern he showed the cactus. Hermione offered him the handkerchief and looked on as he dried Daphne's eyes. Empathy at its finest. Daphne seemed caught between a peculiar combination of humor and sadness, which made her emit a choked, chuckling sob. I love you so much. Touching her nephew's face, the devotion in her voice was unmistakable. And though Scorpius wasn't ready to speak, he looked at Hermione. His eyes were brimming with emotion he didn't know the signs to express, but she already knew, and she translated his feelings for him. He loves you, too. Dinner was an odd mix of pieces of Hermione's life, work, and home that hadn't been combined before. An experiment that hadn't turned out too bad. Most everyone knew each other and were friendly. The outliers were the Malfoys, which added a layer of tension that hadn't been there before. Not all bad, just different. Narcissa was speaking to her sister exclusively. The two caught up quietly at the end of the table, and the natural ease made it look as though they'd never been apart. Every now and then one would laugh. Narcissa was in a good mood, excellent even. She showed interest in Teddy, who still wasn't sure what to make of his great-aunt, and complimented Ginny's dress. She and Dean even nodded politely in each other's direction. And when she asked to hold Halia, Daphne only hesitated for a minute before agreeing. It was progress where none had been expected. Another source of tension had been Malfoy, who everyone knew at the table but spoke twenty words combined to the group from his spot to her left. He and Harry had a quick conversation about a safe topic Hermione hadn't listened to. He also spoke to Theo. And when Teddy started expressing his fascination with Malfoy's job, he answered the teenager's questions. And while Malfoy was in tune with his surroundings, he mainly watched Scorpius, who was comically fascinated by his cousin's rapid hair color change. Hermione had never seen him so overwhelmed by the presence of so many people at once, but he seemed almost... content. Scorpius was the center of attention, and it had stained his cheeks a vibrant red that was visible from her spot across the table. They certainly hadn't come for him, but everyone was intrigued. More than once, Hermione caught someone, Ginny mainly, glancing between father and son like the fact that they were related made zero sense. Perhaps it wouldn't to her, because Scorpius had taken an instant liking to Ginny in the way he hadn't with Hermione. Where Hermione had worked to earn his trust, he seemed to have freely given it to Ginny. Perhaps it was the maternal way she handled him that set him at ease. With her children gone, Ginny needed someone to mother, and Scorpius needed mothering. Symbiotic. It worked well during the meal because Scorpius could barely keep his eyes off Teddy's hair long enough to take a bite without spilling spaghetti on his clothes. Somehow, Ginny had gotten him to eat. Daphne's coaxing and a few sneaking glances across the table at Hermione had surely helped. When the plates were cleared, Teddy all but dragged a confused Scorpius towards the door that led him into the house, since he'd already said no to seeing the chickens. Not without Albus. Teddy! Andromeda called before he could make it to the door with the bewildered five-year-old. Yes? He grinned too brightly, hair flashing pink before settling into something closer to orange. Did you ask him if he wanted to go? No, 
he looked down at Scorpius, whose hand was still in his grip. Scorpius stood a bit rigidly, but overall didn't seem anxious. In fact, he seemed mostly fascinated at being included. "'Do you want to see the stream out front?' In lieu of an answer, he let go of Teddy's hand and approached Hermione, bringing everyone's focus to her. Leaning in with her elbows on her thighs, Hermione tilted her head a little, giving him a smile as if the room full of people weren't watching. Like his father wasn't right there. "'Hi there!' Scorpius had a smudge of sauce on the corner of his mouth Chitty had missed, but she got it with her own napkin, in a move that made him scrunch his nose. It took several moments of him staring at her, then back at Teddy, who was waiting by the door. But she realized he sought permission. She hadn't taught him how to ask yet. They would get there. Ask your dad. She gave him a little push towards Malfoy, who looked like he was still trying to solve a complicated arithmetic problem. What she wanted to tell him right then was that being a parent wasn't only about biology. It was a bonus, yes, and strictly by coincidence. What really mattered was something Malfoy had been doing for a long time, providing security, a life, basic needs. The rest he would need to work on. Stepping up and being there for Scorpius, teaching him things, tending to his emotional needs, being present. Malfoy would figure it out now that he had made it a priority to learn. But first, he needed a little help understanding Scorpius's language. He wants to know if he can go. Malfoy looked at his mother, who was at the far end of the conservatory talking with Andromeda. Then he looked to Hermione, who made it perfectly clear he would be making the call. Not anyone else. Not that it mattered. Scorpius was blinking at him, hopefully. He couldn't resist. Of course. Malfoy gave Teddy a look. I'll come with. Big eyes from Scorpius brought her along as well. It was just after six and light enough for them to see clearly. They walked upstream to a shallower part not too far from the house, but still well within her wards. Scorpius and Teddy walked ahead of them, the former looking over his shoulder a lot, just to be sure. It was nearly calf-deep water that Teddy stepped into while Scorpius watched his father transfigure his tie into a blanket. When Malfoy laid it out against the edge of the stream, Scorpius sat down. He wasn't keen on getting dirty. Scorpius showed his appreciation and a look at his father's retreating back that only Hermione caught. It was close to sunset. She and Malfoy ended up side by side, as Teddy picked up various rocks, moss, and even a tiny fish she scooped up to show the wide-eyed little boy. Despite Malfoy's presence, a silent figure at her side, the scene before them, the sounds of the stream and nature itself, lulled her into a sense of calm she often felt out here. It's almost pointless to have a stream this small. I didn't tell nature what to do. Hermione inhaled a breath of fresh air. Nature will never listen. But I like this stream. It's a natural boundary, and I like the ambiance. The stream connects to a larger one about six kilometers away, so it's not exactly pointless. Who set up your wards? I did, with help. It's a large ward. He looked around, seeming to remember her last comments about how it stretched into the forest. Have you had anyone check them for weaknesses? I've made adjustments and updates based on what I've learned along the way. I test them regularly. Malfoy nodded. They still need to be examined by someone who isn't you. Someone who will test them properly and won't hold back. Are you volunteering? Are you asking? The moment lingered, then passed as something caught Malfoy's attention. Hermione turned as well to see Teddy walking towards them while Scorpius made his way to the house, passing them by with extremely bashful look on his face that tickled Hermione's curiosity. She watched until the door shut behind Scorpius, before turning back to Teddy, who was offering the transfigured blanket. 
Did you want to stay a little longer? Hermione asked. No, the water was cold. Scorpius said he was tired, so he went inside. Everything stopped. I'm sorry, what? The question came from Malfoy because Hermione was speechless. Scorpius said? His tone made Teddy's hair start changing rapidly, mouth stuck in a frown. He... The teenager chewed on his fingernail, eyeing Hermione like he knew the fact that his little cousin had spoken to him was a very significant thing and didn't want to get the details wrong. I thought you said he didn't talk. Hermione was truly flummoxed and would have had more questions had they not been distracted by the distant sound of an explosion and the death mark that roared to life in the sky above them. We can weather anything if we stay calm in the eye of the storm. Lolly Descal.